Progression Wrestling Podcast coming back twice in one month. Oh my God. What in the world is going on? What is happening? How is that even a possibility? I don't know, but it kind of is. And here we are back for another installment of the Big Four Project. This is chapter five of the Big Four Project, where on this episode, we are going to conclude, well, kind of the last chapter. It's, I, I say it does conclude the story of the explosion of the mega powers uh, up to a certain point. I think, you know, there's still a sub chapter coming up with the match at SummerSlam 1989, which we'll talk about on chapter six. But this pretty much brings to an end the uh, story of the mega powers exploding as things uh, conclude at WrestleMania five with the actual match between Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage one year in the making. We're going to talk about all that sort of stuff um, on this episode of the show, which is what a, what a episode are we up to now, guys? I think this is 278, right? Right. Is that where we are? 278. Yes. Chapter five, big four project. So on this episode, uh, I'm going to be joined by PC Tunney and making his debut on the show, Rob Bennett who came on to talk Royal Rumble 1989, which was the second Royal Rumble in history. And then it is uh, PC Tunney and DJ comes back. You heard DJ on the uh, last episode. DJ comes back and we break down WrestleMania 5 and everything that happened there on this episode. Uh, when it's done, I will come back and offer a few updated thoughts on some things. I've actually re-recording this intro uh, from what I originally had because had some, I don't know, under the weather a little bit this week. So I had to re-record this to update a few things. It's been an interesting week in pro wrestling. That's for sure. As I'm recording this, we are one week away, exactly one week away from night two of WrestleMania 39, where we will be there. So I got some thoughts. I got some things I will add on at the end of this episode, but you know what? Let's get to it. Let's not belabor things. We are going to get into this thing. We're going to talk WrestleMania, or not WrestleMania, Royal Rumble 1989. The second Royal Rumble, an interesting one, to be sure, uh, definitely furthers the story of the breakup of the mega powers um, and interesting from the standpoint as to who wins and the relatively inconsequential impact of his victory. Big John Studd, of course, winning the second Royal Rumble 1989 and in sharp contrast to what the Rumble winner gets now. Big John um, <laughs> got a special ref gig at WrestleMania 5, so we're going to talk about that, and then we will uh, take a commercial break. We'll come back. We will touch on WrestleMania Five and the Mega Powers exploding. And between that, we talk about the big blow-up that happened at the Bradley Center at the second of the main event broadcasts and what happened there and how that furthered the storyline and really pushed it in the sharp direction of uh, WrestleMania Five. And then I'll come on after that's done and offer a few thoughts on AEW, WrestleMania, things like that. Just a few random thoughts from Big Dave. But Rob's never been on the show, so we are going to get the Ron Burgundy jazz flute for Rob. He deserves the introduction. Then you're going to hear the discussion of Royal Rumble 1989, the commercial break, WrestleMania 5, one of the biggest WrestleManias of all time. And then I will come back and close things off. So here you go. At this point, Ron, take us there, please. <laughs>
All right, folks, welcome back. Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. The Big Four Project marches on. We are into Chapter 5 of the Big Four Project, where we will focus in, our focus will shift to the continuing saga of the mega powers exploding. Still, in my opinion, the greatest story and greatest build in the history of pro wrestling, greatest storyline in pro wrestling history. I'm still sticking to that, Tony. I don't care. You know, you guys can bloodline me to death, but... <laughs> that's that's my story and i'm sticking to it i am being joined for this uh we're going to start off talking about the royal rumble 89 and i'm being joined of course by the one and only pc tunny coming back on the show to talk royal rumble 89 also we have a another we had a dj debut last week or last chapter um now we got another debut on the show the one and only rob rob how are you doing sir and let people know what do you do as far as the chairshot.com is concerned and and your contributions to uh, this movement that we have here. Oh, I'm doing well today. And so I am one third of the mindless wrestling podcast with DJ and Jason. And uh, so we have our weekly show. It's usually up on Fridays and we talk about, you know, we talk about pro wrestling. Of course, we talk about some other things, whatever else is on our mind also. And I've also been a, uh, writer on the chairshot.com for a, I don't know how long now, but uh, Greg saw some stuff I wrote on my own site once and he invited me to come write for chair shot. So I, that's where I started. And then we've been doing the mindless wrestling podcast since like 2020. Like we were, we were, you know, we, we were, I guess you know, we were a, uh, an outlaw mud show indie podcast for a couple of years. And Greg invited us to come on board and join, you know, join the gang here. So, We've been here on ChairShot for, man, uh, don't remember exactly how long now, but it's long, been a long while. Enough, long enough, right? Long yeah. Enough, long enough to count. There you go. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and uh, it's good to have a, a second member of the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. We've had DJ on. Uh, he and I covered SummerSlam 88 and Survivor Series 88 on the last chapter with Tony filling in for part of uh, SummerSlam 88. But on this on this chapter, we're we're turning we are going to 1989 so we've left 1988 behind we're going to 1989 we're going to the royal rumble 1989 which unlike the one that tony and i covered uh the royal rumble 88 the first one this is a full-fledged royal rumble this is one where the rumble is the focus this is one where there's 30 men there's not 20 um the feel of this rumble is completely different right tony than than the first rumble i think we would all agree on that oh most definitely yeah i mean you actually have all your stars are in it, right? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't come down to who you think it does, but you still get an enhancement in, in, in the biggest thing that's happening. Right. And like you're saying, this and that, and for those you know more modern fans who associate the Royal Rumble with the person who wins the Rumble gets the main event shot at WrestleMania, this is before that. And, and this Royal Rumble in 1989 doesn't have any sort of stipulation like that on the line. And you know that because the WWF champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage, is in the match itself. So that kind of uh, creates a, a different dynamic to this Royal Rumble. But as Tunney kind of alludes to, this event is hugely important in furthering the story of the mega powers exploding. So when last we left Survivor Series 88 at the end of everything, um, as DJ and I mentioned, not some not so subtle mannerisms, glances, looks, what have you, that the Macho Man Randy Savage threw in the get in the direction of one Hulk Hogan as he celebrated with Macho Man's manager, love interest, whatever you want to call her, Miss Elizabeth. So 
We fast forward a few months later. It is now the Royal Rumble 1989, January 15th, 1989 from the summit, the old summit in Houston, Texas. Gorilla Monsoon, Jesse the Body Ventura on commentary. That should tell you that this is a big event because Gorilla and Jesse only got together for the big events. Um, and, the, the, you know, we get a, a little bit more. There's some important events that happen on the undercard that'll kind of make like off air. Me and, and Rob were talking about WrestleMania five and how there are a lot of matches just thrown together without any real story involved. Um, some of what happens on the undercard actually furthers some of these stories. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the very opening match of Royal Rumble 1989. Dino Bravo, the fabulous Rougeau brothers. They have Frenchie Martin and Jimmy Hart in their corners. They're taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Hart Foundation. And for some reason, it's a best two out of three falls match. I, I don't know how we got to the point where, you know, <laughs> six man tag team best two out of three fall. Okay, let, let's roll with it. So in the first fall, the Rougeos, they combine to low bridge Bret Hart out over the out of the ring. They then roll him back in the ring. Bravo hits a side suplex. The Rougeos, then they execute this really nicely done Double team flying seated senton puts the hitman down and the uh, heels take the first fall. Any, you know, I, I mean, this is this is kind of the way they structure these two out of three falls matches more often than not. But uh, any anything you guys picked up out of that first fall that really stood out to you, other than Brett, you know, selling like he always does and and, and being the guy to to take the fall in the end. Well, yeah, because like Brett was when they when the Hart Foundation did lose, Brett was usually the guy that took the pin. And I guess because I guess because you know the you don't you you don't want the big anvil you know getting pinned or whatever you know right right and and I mean Brett Brett's the technician and I mean the Rougeos can go for sure oh yeah yeah they they're one of the underrated teams of that era absolutely basically. no doubt and Brett can go and Anvil can go more than you think Bravo is kind of phasing out a little bit but he's still he's still obviously relevant at this point. In the second fall, Brett absorbs a long, long stretch of punishment, is finally able to tag in Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who is going to uh, crush everyone, catapults the anvil and the hitman onto Raymond Rougeau. They end up pinning Raymond, and then then the anvil pins him himself to even the fall or the matchup at one fall apiece. So like you're saying, Brett's a technician. He's the guy who's selling this. He sells the, uh, the hot tag pretty well. Gets Hacksaw involved. Hacksaw basically cleans house on everybody. And the match is evened up at one apiece. So, you know, good stuff so far. Let, let's skip to the third fall, and then we'll come back and, and kind of wrap this up. Uh, the third fall is pretty frantic. I, I mean, that's that, that's all I can say about this final fall. There's a lot of action going on. It's almost a, it's like an AEW match at times. There's so many people in the ring. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Brett tries to roll up Dino Bravo, but... Uh, uh, Bravo is going to um, hang on to the ropes. The ref's then distracted, though. And and while the ref is distracted with whatever's going on outside the ring, I don't remember exactly what it was, but Hacksaw Jim Duggan is going to use this opportunity to, although he's a baby face, to do a very uh, heel-like maneuver. As he whacks Dino Bravo in the back with the 2 by 4 Brett pins him to get the win, and the faces prevail in this opening contest of Royal Rumble 1989. Um. Interesting stuff. I mean, the, the outcome, not particularly surprising. The way the match was structured, not particularly surprising. Um, Hacksaw whacking somebody with a two by four, not really surprising. But this, although it's certainly not a babyface characteristic, um, Hacksaw beating the shit out of people with a two by four was as over as anything 
back in the day. You know, <laughs> you guys. Oh yeah. You guys yeah. got any thoughts on on this match in general? Uh, not. I don't think anything really surprising out of this whole thing. But uh, I thought it was a solid opening match. Oh yeah. It was, it was, oh sorry. Go ahead. No no no. You go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was a, it was a you know good opener to get the crowd going. And well, hacksaw with the two by four is funny because like. like it wasn't uncommon for some baby faces to do things like that, but you know, they would always, the match would always play out. So it was, it'd be like a retaliation for some cheating or something. Um, so him using the two by four was funny. Uh, the same way, like, you know, Jerry Lawler throwing fireballs at people and hitting them in the face. Right. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a fun little match and it's a good way to open the show. And, you know, hacksaw was, you know, real big back then. And, and you know, and Brett, you know, Brett, great as always. And it's although, I mean, at that point, they'd already tried the singles run with him before, and they kind of pulled the plug on it. So then he, they stayed together for a little while longer. Yeah, but they, yeah, like you're saying, like after WrestleMania four, they gave Brett a little bit of, uh, you know, at least kind of dabbled with the notion of him being running as a as a solo and then like you're saying they they bring the Hart Foundation back together for a little while longer. And I think Brett talks about this in in one of his books. Uh, about the reasoning behind that but uh but like yeah rob like you're saying that the faces back in this is the era when the faces do some really uh questionable stuff jake jake's a face right now jake with the oh, snake yeah. you know it's like uh python strangling somebody isn't exactly white meat baby face sort of behavior well, no. but we're gonna go with that um you know so you had stuff like that that was going on so they they were doing some fun stuff tony you got any thoughts on on this opening match and uh and how it went down, and and just your thoughts about the guys involved in general. I mean, like you said, it's it's interesting how we got to a place where we were having a two out of three falls with a six man tag. Yeah. But uh, I think it was it was a pretty good match, to be honest with you. I enjoyed it. You know, anytime you got Brett in there, kind of running the show, the Rougeos work well. And as over as Duggan is, right, is a great curtain jerker. Even though there were two matches before it, but to open the show for for the pay per view, it was. It was it was a good 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 match, right? We're not going to get into the dark matches unless you really want to, Tony. Do you, you know who? who no, were in the dark no, matches. That, yeah, it was Jimmy Powell. Jimmy Powell. Jim Powers defeated Barry Horowitz, and oh, Sam boy. Houston defeated Sam Houston defeated Steve Lombardi. Oh, Holy good crap, grief. man! That's the dark match. No wonder they didn't have him on. That's that's below kickoff show material. I mean, when you're talking Barry Horowitz and the Brooklyn Brawler. No, I Oof. all all the love in the world that Barry Horowitz has been a guest on the show, uh, but still, yeah, Sam Houston gets a win. Jim Powers, holy shit! I thought Jim Powers was gone, but I guess not. Anyway, um, <laughs> the less see now that makes AEW dark sound like a good time. So I'm just uh, you know I'm I'm just telling you guys. But let let's move on. Next match on the card, we get an interesting one: Judy Martin taking on Rock and Robin for the ladies' championship. Uh, sensational sherry she's around she's going to become very relevant in 1989 uh she's going to challenge the winner before the match even happens okay <laughs> sherry's commentary during this match though really kind of drags the match down i thought i was like you know there's some people who are very good at commentary there's other people who should just keep their mouth shut sherry is of the latter on this one because all she's it's like a lot of self-promotion and just a lot of like distracting commentary that takes away from what's going on in the ring because the match itself is pretty decent um robin is going to head fakes judy martin 
and then hits her with a flying body press off the second rope to get the pin, and she retains the championship. Not not a whole lot to this match. It's just a you know the ending was kind of okay. That's a little bit clever. I'm gonna like trick you into thinking I'm going a second before I actually do, and she gets the pin. Uh, Rock and Robin is going to retain the championship. You know, I mean, by modern standards, when we look at the women's wrestling scene where we are now, as opposed to where we were in 1989, I don't think there's any comparison, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a completely different era. Um, you know, at least these, the, they weren't called divas at this point in time. They were now called ladies. And, you know, Rock and Robin was the ladies championship. So, I don't know. I, I thought my problem with the match was Sherry's commentary kind of distracting me from what was going on. The match itself was fine to steal from Patrick O'Dowd and bandwagon nerds. It was fine. Tony, what do you think of this one, man? Yeah, the match wasn't fine. It was less than fine. It was, <laughs> it was not very good and it was six and a half minutes. So, I mean, at least I got six and a half minutes. Who does she eventually lose the title to? She didn't. They just, they just said or did they done. discontinue? They discontinued. Yeah, yeah they just said we're done. <laughs> I know yeah. Sherry was a champion at some point in time because she's talking about getting her title belt. But yeah, I mean, what Rock and Robin is going to end up singing the anthem at WrestleMania Five, and that's problematic in itself. We're going to get to that in the second part of this chapter. But uh, Rob, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot you can say about this match other than it was fine, or in Tony's opinion, less than fine. I don't know where you fit on that <laughs> limited um, limited scale. <laughs> Uh, it was kind of a little boring to me. Uh, it wasn't long, so, uh, yeah, it was just kind of there. Well, I mean, at least you didn't have it, to spend it, a lot of time invested in it. That's yeah, just... and and like there are different kinds of this wasn't. I mean, it wasn't a bad match because they weren't like you know screwing up a bunch of stuff or anything. But it was just kind of dull to me and just kind of there. And you know, um, next to Sherry, yeah, like yeah, I agree with about Sherry on commentary. It didn't really help anything here. Yeah, it was it was just kind of there, you know. It's like they're still they're still playing with the Royal Rumble undercard, and and I mean this is only the second one of these, and the first true <clears throat> pay per view event for the Royal Rumble. So, <clears throat> you know, they're getting their legs under them. I get it. Um, yeah, and honestly, I mean, because the the first Rumble show was basically just to piss on Jim Crockett, <laughs> Bunkhouse Stampede. Yes, yeah, it, it was, and it was also you know to promote the Hogan Andre rematch that would happen uh, yeah. on the main event. In fact, the contract signing was the bigger part of that thing. The Royal, the Rumble was just like, like Tony and I were talking. The Rumble was an afterthought. But Vince and Jesse were on commentary for that first Rumble. And I don't know, Rob, if you remember this, but it was evident early on in that match from the commentary the, and the organic reactions you were getting from Vince and Jesse that they kind of realized really quickly, hey, we're onto something here. And I think this event this following year really accentuates that they realize they were onto something and they're like, Hey, let's really roll out the red carpet on this thing. Yeah. That's what it was basically. And, uh, so this was like the first real, like you said, this was the first time it was on pay-per-view and this was a different show from the first one. The first one was like, I said, it was, yeah, it was there for, to do the promote the Hogan Andre match and the piss on Jim Crockett. Yeah. And it was, it was on, it was on TV USA. and yeah. not the whole roster was there. Half the roster was over in Hamilton doing something. Yeah. It's, it was, it, Go back to chapter, what, three, Tony? I think that's where we talked about the Royal Rumble 88. But uh, listen to that. It's it's pretty good stuff. So let's get to the next part, though, because this is actually an important part of the Royal Rumble 89, and it furthers a storyline, or at least it, it really moves it in the direction where we're going to go for WrestleMania five. It's a super pose down between Ravishing Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior. 
And it's interesting because I call this a super pose down. Guys, it turns into the super beat down by the time this oh, whole yeah. thing is all over. Um, <laughs> you know, now in, in the moment when, when you're watching this thing, when I was watching it back in 1989, when it was happening, you know, and you're blinded by fanism and, and that sort of thing. And it's like, Oh yeah, the warrior kicked his ass, you know, um, <clears throat> looking back on it with a more neutral and objective eye, Warrior is certainly the bigger of the two. Rude, if it's a bodybuilding contest, Rude wins this pretty easily. Um, but you'd never know it <laughs> from the crowd reaction. Oh, and, yeah. and 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 the great part about this is who who came up with this idea that no, no, we're not going to have judges or anybody objectively look at this stuff. And the dogs are like they're pissed off about this. I mean, they're they're still upset. It's they weren't even around in 1989, but they're upset about it. Um, so yeah, before the dogs interrupted my train of thought there, bastards, uh, I was talking about how they came up with this idea for the super pose down that rather than having judges and basis objectively, they're going to leave it up to the fans to decide who wins this thing, which is just as asinine to a massive degree because there's <laughs> nobody in their right mind is cheering for Rick Rude, except a few scattered females who appreciate the bod. Uh, so it's rigged from the word go. Uh, the warrior's going to win oh, this yeah, thing. Yeah, every yeah. every pose that he does, he can't pose for shit. Rude can oh, actually no. pose, right? Um, warrior clearly cannot. But the whole thing kind of changes when it's clear that Rude's going to lose this thing. Bobby Heenan ends up spraying something. I don't know. I think it, it was supposedly like the lotion that they were rubbing on Rude for the uh, pose down. Bobby Heenan sprays it in the warrior's eyes, and then Rude beats the holy hell out of the ultimate warrior with a steel exercise bar, which is going to set in motion the match between those two guys at WrestleMania five for the intercontinental championship. Um, we talked about it on the last ep- last chapter, how warrior's trajectory at this point in time is just skyrocketing, you know, in, in a massively upward trajectory. Um, Rude's going to get a pretty good rub off of this feud because I think we all three of us probably agree. Ravishing Rick Rude, horribly underrated, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, He's going to obviously benefit from this more than anybody. But your guys thought, Rob, I'll turn it over to you first. Your thoughts on this super pose down is one thing. I mean, it is what it is. But the rude warrior feud is going to go on for, you know, through here, WrestleMania 5, and then into SummerSlam 89. So this thing's going to end. Then they're going to re- reprise it after Warrior wins the title a year later. So this rude warrior rivalry. Uh, is a is a big deal and i know like I, i've read some stuff about rude and, and the warrior behind the scenes i know and i don't remember I, I don't think there was animosity between them i know warrior had a lot of respect for ravishing rick rude outside the ring as well you should because he probably beat your ass for real but oh, anyway yeah, he, was, any, he was a legit tough guy yeah rob your thoughts on, on the super pose down and, and the rude warrior rivalry as it just starts to get going here oh because look this is the stuff we watch pro wrestling for this 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 you know wacky stuff here right and um, was one of the things we watch it for. And uh, like you said, Warrior couldn't pose. He like he was not a you know, he, no, he, he was not like a competition type of guy. He he just you know he he injected himself with some uh, things and <laughs> lifted a bunch of weights, right? Um, yeah, but like I said, having the fans decide, of course, that we knew how that was going to go. But it you know the purpose was of course was to set up the beatdown and to kind of kick the feud and the second gear and it's it succeeded there and their wrestlemania match was very good uh i mean rude's probably the best worker that warrior feuded with um 
Yeah, so I mean, their yeah, their WrestleMania match is very good, um, and yeah, they feuded all the way through SummerSlam, and then I'm guessing that they had Rude feud with him. You know, they feuded over the world title the next year, probably because you know this went so well, and you know they wanted a good opponent for you know Warrior when he was world champion. Uh, and I think that was like the last. I think Rude left after that was over. Well, I, you know, you mentioned it, and I think the reason they went back to this feud so much is because Rude made the Warrior look good. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's not a whole lot of guys who can say that. But the but Ravishing Rick Rude was one of the guys who made the Ultimate Warrior look good. And I'm just looking it up. And and yeah, that my comment about Rude and, and Warrior, you know, maybe not having real animosity outside the ring. Well, maybe uh, check that because um, <laughs> I think Rude actually did kick the Warrior's ass outside the ring for real. Because he felt like, because <laughs> he felt like the warrior had done something reckless or something. I'm going to keep reading this though, uh, and I think Flair is the one who kind of says it's a shoot interview. Rick Flair claimed that uh, Rick Rude beat up the Ultimate Warrior, which I don't like. You're saying, Rob, we know that there's a handful of guys outside the ring who are regarded as real life tough guys. Rude comes to mind. And two guys in the next match, ironically yeah. enough, Haku yeah. and Harley yeah. Race. Uh, yes, which like, yeah, let me see a shoot fight between these guys. Uh, but. Tony, let me turn it to you first. Your thoughts on the super pose down being what it is and just the feud between Ravishing Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior here in the very beginning. It's just in its gestational period. It's going to amp up and really evolve over the next roughly like year and a half. It's it's actually probably was better for what they were trying to do than having a match because you got the fans to really love the warrior and, and show it because they want him to beat Rick Rude in this pose down because they like him better. And then you also get to magnify the heel part of it with Rick Rude, where he gets to attack him and, you know, and things of that nature. And it also, like you said, it sets up for what's going to happen. It weakens the warrior to make it believable because when you look at it in the ring from a wrestling perspective, you think the warrior beats up Rick Rude all the time, right? And that's yeah. the way it should go. Not like it, not like in real life. Um, Steve Austin traveled with Rude as well and said Rude was a legit tough guy. And you said no, sir. Yes, sir. To him. Um, but what a great worker. Yeah. And also to the point of Rick Rude and how good he is. I mean, he's probably on that short list of guys. Some of the best ever that never held a world title. Unless you want to count the super world title he held or whatever he brought back from Japan. I think it was Japan. Right. I mean, Rude's, Rude's the Intercontinental Champion uh, on on one occasion, and we're, we'll get into that in the next, the second half of this uh, <clears throat> this chapter. But yeah, reading about it, there's conflicting stories, but it generally comes down to the point that Rude cautioned the Warrior about working too stiff. <laughs> Shocking. Warrior working stiff? No. Uh, you can't. <laughs> and, and Warrior basically caught an attitude with him and says, I don't have to listen to you because I'm the ultimate warrior. And Rude, either conflicting reports, he decks him. Either he knocked him out or he just knocked him on his ass. But, you know, that and that, you could see that. That Rude would be like, look, man, I'm trying to help you out. You are in this position largely. Because this feud with the, the Warrior had trounced Honky Tonk Man, right? And then oh, he yeah, goes yeah. And, and you're looking for who's going to be who's going to be somebody he can work with that's going to help progress this title reign. Now, granted, he's going to lose at, at WrestleMania 5, and we're going to talk about that. But I think Ravishing Rick Rude, was the perfect foil for the Ultimate Warrior. Here's a guy with the body who can hang with him, who can help the Warrior in the ring immensely. And the Warrior desperately needed all the help he could get. So um, this is this is actually a really smart feud that that Vince comes up here. And Tony, you're probably right that at this point in time, this worked out better than than you could have done with a match. And and it really 
people weren't used to seeing the warrior get the shit kicked kicked out of him like you i mean he was beaten pretty <laughs> beaten up pretty bad in this segment kayfabe though it was that iconic imagery of, of the the you know rude choking him out with that steel exercise bar wrapped you know around his throat um man that that sticks with you but a, a big moment here in the royal rumble 1989 early on that really sets in the stage one of the better feuds in wwf over the next year so um we alluded to it <laughs> we alluded to tough guys and and as Tony mentioned, yeah, we've got two of the legit tough guys in for real in the WWF at this time, Haku and Harley Race, and they're fighting over the crown. You know, now the crown kind of became an unofficial third title sort of in WWF at this point in time because it was being changed. You know, Hacksaw Duggan had it, then Haku had it, and Harley Race, or maybe Harley had it first, and I think Hacksaw got it, then Haku got it. Um, it's yeah, I mentioned in my notes here, Tony, this is funny. What a shoot fight this would have been. <laughs> so that's that's what I've got in my notes. Um, aside from that, though, guys, this is very, very, very rare for WWF in the late 80s. It's a heel versus heel match. And it's a hell of a good match, I thought. Um, Hacksaw, or excuse me, Haku survives getting pal-driven on the ring floor. You don't see this stuff happen in WWE anymore, but he survives getting pal driven on the ring floor in the closing moments. Haku ducks under a, uh, a Harley race clothesline and his race bounces off the ropes. Haku's going to catch race with the uh, reverse thrust kicked, which I guess you could call the super kick nowadays to get the win, keep the crown. And he leaves with Bobby, the brain Heenan, who this was the fun part of the match. Bobby, the brain is like, right. <laughs> He's trying to be in the middle of these two guys, but it's his, co but listening to him is fucking hilarious. Cause he's like, you know, exhorting both of these guys on, but you seem to say, okay, he's a little bit more favorable to uh, Haku, I think, or maybe not. And then he eventually hits like, and Bobby, the brain, he in, in true weasel behavior, tr true to his character. He's going to go with whoever wins, you know, Jesse Ventura will accuse Elizabeth Elizabeth, the same thing at WrestleMania five. She's going to go with whoever wins. And Bobby, the brain Heenan does exactly that. He leaves with the winner and the guy with the crown. I thought this was a really good match in a very, a very odd and rare. You did not get heel versus heel matches and the crowd. Okay. Maybe they're not as into it, but I think the smarter fans there that night respected what was going on. Tony, your thoughts on this very rare, interesting matchup, a battle for the crown and King Haku is still the king. Yeah, it really solidifies him beating King Harley Race, right? And I thought it was a pretty decent match as well. That that th reverse thrust kick or super kick, whatever we want to call, was was pretty pretty snug at the end. And I'm sure Harley wouldn't have had it any other way. But yeah, just a really good psychology in this match, especially like you said, Heenan, always so entertaining. Um, just you know, one of the greatest ever. Right, right. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's just, it was a fun match. It was very good. And I'm sure those two guys were like, if, if they weren't working stiff with each other, one or the other one probably would have beat the shit out of the other one for not being stiff enough, you know? Uh, Rob, your thoughts on, uh, granted, this would have been a hell of a, uh, you know, why couldn't we have got this for the brawl for all sort of stupidity that they had years later? But, um, <laughs> yeah. what do you think of this match, man? This is a pretty interesting one. Yeah, it was, and this was more like a, like an old school, like I said, stiff guys, you know, really going at it here with each other, and yeah, I mean, being a heel versus heel match, the, the crowd wasn't quite sure what to do, um, and see, I'm 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 of the mentality to this day that 
you know, the, the traditional heel versus face thing is the way to go. I mean, you're going to, to me, something having, you know, face versus face is, you know, you can do it sometimes or heel versus heel. But I think if you, when you make a habit out of it, I think it just, it, it kind of just dilutes everything to me. Uh, so yeah, they, they weren't sure what to make of all of this really. And, um, but it was a good match, and I think that might have been Harley's last match or one of them there. I think you're right. Yeah, it, it, I don't think he has. He's not in WrestleMania five, I don't think. So this might have been his swan song because he's heading back to. Uh, he's going back. Well, I know he's still about a year or so away from being Luger's manager in in WCW when he yeah. has his title run. But no, like like you're saying, the crowd doesn't know what to do so much with themselves here because they've been they've been conditioned to to respond to like you're saying rob face versus heel this is what there's a dividing line you cheer for the faces you don't cheer for the heels they still have macho man's the first guy who starts to bring people over from one side to the other you know even after he turns on hulk hogan as we're going to see pretty soon here he's still kind of bringing people over and you see more of the people starting to cheer for him and not sticking to the you know the dividing lines that they, they they normally adhere to but anyway yeah it, it's a cool match um and it's it's one that honestly tony i'd forgotten this match had happened till, till we got to the royal rumble 89 and looked <laughs> at it. i was like oh shit this match is on here i forgot about this so um yeah good stuff all the way around let's let's get to the royal rumble so let's talk about the royal rumble match and what we'll do is we'll go through um, the orders of entry and, and elimination and that sort of thing. And if something happens along the way, I, there's going to be places I'm going to stop guys, but if something happens along the way, let me know and just pipe in, you know, don't have to raise a hand or anything. Just talk. That's how we roll here on the attitude of aggression. Tony knows he'll just tell me to shut the hell up. Eventually it's my show, but Tony, <laughs> Tony run, Tony runs this thing. No. So I'm just kidding, <laughs> but look, <laughs> let's, let's start this off because I mean, the, this Royal Rumble starts off just fantastically because you get the music for Demolition. Axe comes out. He's number one. And you're waiting around to see who's number two. And then you get the music for Demolition again and Smash comes out. And so these guys are one, two in the match. And you're watching this thinking, holy shit, are these guys actually going to fight with each other? And they throw down. And they they throw down the entire you know time until number three hits and it's Andre the Giant. And this gets really interesting right away because then as quickly as demolition was fighting with each other, they stop immediately and go after Andre, the giant who's still even in 1989, a big threat to win this thing. Um, Mr. Perfect comes in number four and then right between four and five, Andre, the giant eliminates smash. So that's, you know, one of Andre's is this, I think this is the last, yeah, this is the last Royal rumble Andre's in. I'm pretty sure. I don't think he's, he doesn't look, he doesn't look great here. No, he doesn't. Yeah. No, yeah. he's on the ropes a lot. He's struggling. He's resting. He's he's doing what he can. But I don't think he's in the Royal Rumble 1990. Maybe he is. I, I well, I'll have to look and see when we get to that chapter. Um, <clears throat> rugged Ronnie Garvin comes in number five. Greg the Hammer Valentine comes in number six. Garvin and Valentine have an ongoing thing with each other at this point in time, so that furthers that until the point that Andre the Giant. <laughs> He hip tosses Ronnie Garvin out of the ring, out of the match. So, eh, okay, that's that's fine, I guess. Andre, like like Tony, like you're saying, Andre's doing what he can do at this point in time. He's which, in ninety. He's in the ninety Rumble. Is he okay? So this isn't the end of the road for him. Thank you, Tony. Um, but like you're saying, Andre's not looking too good here. Although he does look good enough that when Jake the Snake Roberts comes out at number seven, um, you know, 
he goes right after him. I mean, and Andre, well, he legit doesn't like Jake though. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I don't blame him, you know, for, for the whole thing with the snake and Jake's a piece of shit. And Andre, yeah. Andre had issues with lots of people. Macho. He had yeah. issues with, had issues with the warrior, had issues with Jake the snake, loved Hulk Hogan like a brother. And, 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 and that's of course why Hulk Hogan got to go over on him on WrestleMania three. But yeah, if Andre loved you, he was your best friend. And if he didn't like you, then you get muscled around and beating the shit out of you like Jake does. Yeah, I mean, he just, Andre <laughs> beats the shit. Ron Bass comes in at number eight, but Andre just is going after Jake the Snake. Andre actually eliminates Jake, you know, at this point in time. So Andre gets rid of three guys out of the first eight. Um, Shawn Michaels comes in at number nine. And at this point in time, Mr. Perfect then is going to eliminate Axe from the match. So both members of Demolition are out here in the first nine guys. Um, at number 10 is Bushwhacker Butch. Meanwhile, Jake Roberts returns to the ring with Damien, and a terrified Andre ends up eliminating himself. So he doesn't look good, guys, but he looks good enough to get the hell out of the ring here, right? So. Yeah. And um, so this was like the first time where they did the whole, you know, where they, where they played up to everybody for themselves thing, and then, you know, opening up with Axe and Smash being one and two. And so, like uh, you were saying earlier, this was definitely a sign that this was a different kind of show from the year before that they were actually putting some thought into this match and using it to, uh, you know, start things or move things along or just kind of introduce new concepts. So, you know, the ax and smash thing was really good at the beginning. And then, you know, then, you know, Jake with the snake and then Andre and yeah, cause I, Andre, yeah, at this point, that's funny. Cause there was a, uh, uh, clip that was out there on Twitter earlier this morning from a vintage Porzu, the guy who posts like clips and stuff. It was a match from like 1981 of Andre and Stan Hansen. I saw that Andre. Yeah. Thing. They say yeah. like the six. They say like in the 70s over in France, he was like the like. He's kind of like I liken him to Arvidas Sabonis. We got to see a him at the end of his career when he wasn't as good as when he was good. Yeah. Exactly. Andre used to be able to throw a drop kick, couldn't he? Like, oh, he, oh, he did yeah. moon salts and whatever. He did everything. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he could. I mean, he could really move around when he was younger and before you know, everything started going on him. I mean, think about it. This is four years before he's died. He dies. So, I mean, you're not, you know, rest in peace. One of the uh, one of, if not the all time greatest. Um, you know, Andre's coming near the end of everything here. So, I don't. You know, if he slowed down a lot, okay, he's taken a beating for many years at this point in time. But, but he's still pretty nimble. <laughs> getting out of the ring to get away from that snake. So I, I, I give him credit. There. But like Rob, you're saying in contrast to the first rumble, this one, they're actually focusing on stories and furthering storylines within the match itself, which is the first time they do that. And that becomes a real big um, aspect of the Royal rumble moving forward, furthering storylines, setting up new rivalries, uh, doing things that you haven't thought of. We're not to the point that you know, there's no surprise entrance or people returning yet because this is the second one. But, you know, uh, you, you're right. They are showing their hand a little bit more saying, OK, we can actually use this for more than just an attraction. We can really further storylines and story arcs and and that sort of thing. So Andre eliminates himself. Number 11 into the match is the honky tonk man. <clears throat> Number 12 is Tito Santana. At 13 is Bad News Brown. At this point in time, Tito Santana and Butch, kind of unlikely allies, are going to combine to eliminate Honky Tonk Man. 
The fans still hate Honky Tonk Man, so they pop for that. Uh, the Warriors' trouncing of him has not eliminated completely their disdain for this guy. Uh, Marty Jannetty comes in at number 14. The Rockers then combine to eliminate Outlaw Ron Bass with a double drop kick. And then at number 15, exactly halfway through the match, the WWF champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage, comes into the match, comes in the ring. So I want to stop here briefly, and Tony, let me turn it over to you first. We don't see this anymore nowadays. The WWF, the champion, is never, or rarely, I would say very, very rarely, ever in the Royal Rumble because of you know how the Rumble's evolved and, and whoever wins gets the shot at the champion. Um, what were your thoughts? Having the champion in the match at this point, you know, what, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, what, is, it, is it a good thing? Was it... Was it kind of by modern standards, like why? Or what did you think of Savage being in here? I think at the time they knew that they were just going to use this match to put a spotlight on everybody, right? Individual spotlights. Everybody gets their time. You look at all the vignettes they did backstage with them doing promos, you know, in front of their logos and stuff like that. And why not have your champion be a part of this story as well? It's kind of surprising when you go back and see who wins the first couple ones of these. But, you know... Uh, like we said, it, it wasn't the same thing as it is now, but they're slowly, like we said, learning how to use this the correct way. And it, it's still a lot of good things happening in here. I mean, Macho Man is really good in a Royal Rumble as well, right? You know, yeah. another guy to carry the crowd on specific parts of what's happening. A guy who's really well planned out when he's in there, so he can really help the direction of things. So all of that leads to saying... I didn't mind it. I mean, that's just kind of the way it was back then. Yeah, Rob, what do you, what do you think of Savage, the champion at the time, <clears throat> being involved in the Royal Rumble? Is it is it is it a concept that maybe they should think about going back to, like have the champion win the Rumble so he says, I don't have to fight anybody at WrestleMania because I just beat your ass? Uh, well, they, they've done that a couple of times in the past couple of years. Uh, Brock did it in 2020 and Charlotte did it in 2022. Right. But then in both cases, it was... The, the whole point of them doing it was to get thrown out by the person who would win the rumble and challenge them. Uh, I thought it was good here. Cause remember at this point, um, you know, we didn't have any preconceived notions about what this match was supposed to be about. And so, and we didn't, and we didn't know who was going to be in there. Um, cause we just, yeah, I mean, we had no idea. I mean, I think they might have, you know, they had a few vignettes of people saying who they were going to be in it. Right. But, um, but we didn't have any preconceived notions about what this match was supposed to mean what it was supposed to lead to. We just knew it was happening. And so it was just cool to see as many, you know, as many good people in there as possible. And, you know, seeing him in there was, I mean, yeah, I thought it was because, you know, I mean, he was a guy who said he, you know, he, the the crowd gets up when he comes out there and while he's in the ring. And that's an important thing for these matches because, you know, that you have, that you, you know, you have a few people, who you kind of send out their different points because they, you know, they'll wake the crowd up. The crowd has started to fall off a little bit and you know, and he's, he's a great worker. So he was just in there just doing really good stuff the whole time he was in there. Yeah. So that, yeah. I mean, in 1989, I thought it was, it was, thought it was a very good idea in 1989. Right. Right. Um, Arn Anderson comes in at number 16 and here's some subtle sort of stuff going on in this rumble that kind of it's foreshadowing, but you really don't realize it until you kind of step back and look at everything that transpires after the fact Savage is going to eliminate Greg, the hammer Valentine. Okay. That's fine. hit Valentine's a, a heel. Then you get some interesting stuff. Savage and Arn Anderson. Now, Arn Anderson is a member of the brain busters at this point in time. 
you would not and, and this is kind of the whole thing every man for himself like rob was saying the alliances you get these strange alliances but still um savage and arn anderson teaming up to eliminate the sean michaels the heartbreak well he's not the heartbreak kid yet but to eliminate sean michaels is a little bit surprising then you get tully blanchard who so the brain busters come in at 16 and 17 um the brain busters then combine to eliminate marty Janetti with um tully blanchard finishing off finishing him off so the brain busters and the rockers have a rivalry going on so in the span of just a couple of minutes both brain busters come in and eliminate with the help of surprisingly macho man randy savage they get rid of the rockers <clears throat> number 18 is hulk hogan who comes into a big pop so now you've got both brain busters in the ring you've got the mega powers in the ring and we're off and running and i think at this point the rumble ratchets up significantly, you know, up until this point, it's been good from here on out. It really kind of elevates a little bit because the mega powers are in there and because the stakes are going to rise significantly. Right. Um, it starts off. Hulk is going to eliminate Mr. Perfect. And then it's kind of weird because although Hogan's in there, Savage kind of deliberately avoids Hulk. If you watch this thing back and you look at what he's doing, he's still teaming up with Arn Anderson and they eliminate Tito Santana. Santana, of course, is a face, but Macho Man's got lots of history with Tito Santana. No doubt about that. So um, at this at this point, so I, I, let me turn it over to you guys. Turn it over to you first, Rob. Did you notice that, did, that we're Savage kind of teaming up with Anderson? Is that a little bit surprising at this point, especially with Hulk in the ring at the same time that he's still teaming up with Arn to eliminate baby faces or what? Or am I reading too much into that? Um, I guess I didn't really read into it. But then like a few minutes later, when some uh, when Hogan was getting kind of ganged up on, I think it was either I forgot what it was either Gorilla or Jesse who said it. But one of them mentioned, you know, well, that Macho Man wasn't coming over to help him. That's right. So then that, you know, and so there, there's your kind of tell that this is, you know, that that's supposed to, okay, and it, it, that's supposed to be kind of a seed for something that's coming. Uh, but no, I mean, honestly, just to the naked eye, no, I didn't, I, honestly, I didn't, I didn't get anything. I didn't read anything to it. Right. So uh, because it was, I mean, it was subtle basically. And, you know, nowadays they would hit you over the head with it. Right. Um, but they didn't, they didn't do that then. They just, you know, they, they, they just kind of put it there. And it was one of those things maybe, you, you know, in hindsight, you could look back and say, oh, yeah, OK. But they didn't, you know, they didn't, except for that one little note on commentary that he didn't, you know, that he wasn't helping Hogan. Right. Um, they didn't, again, they, they didn't hit you over the head with it. So if you weren't looking for something out of it, then, yeah, you might not have seen it. We're about to get hit over the head with it. So uh, at, at number 19, Bushwhacker Luke comes in the ring. Um, bad so Bush both Bushwhackers are in the ring temporarily. Bad News Brown is going to eliminate Butch from this match. Coco Beware comes in at number twenty. Hulk is going to surprisingly Hulk Hogan goes after a couple baby faces himself. Easy picking, low hanging fruit. Hulk eliminates Coco Beware and Luke Bushwhacker Luke in quick order. The Warlord comes in at number twenty one. Hulk is going to catch both Brainbusters in a double clothesline and eliminates both of them. Then he eliminates the warlord the second he steps in the ring in one of the quickest eliminations, if not the quickest. It's right there with Santino Morella's elimination in Royal Rumble history. And here's where the shit hits the fan. Hulk then dumps Bad News Brown out of the ring. But Bad News is going to take the Macho Man Randy Savage with him, eliminating the champion at the same time. An irate Macho Man Randy Savage gets all up in Hulk Hogan's face 
And they are very, very close at this point to coming to blows with both of them having fist cock looking to the crowd for support crowd seems split at this point in time as to who they're cheering for a little bit surprising um but it's definitely seeming that way and then it takes elizabeth getting involved in this to smooth things over between the mega powers for now tunny the explosion of the mega powers the fuse has been lit right here at at, at this point in time in the royal rumble and it's counting down pretty quickly uh, your thoughts on this whole situation with Hulk Hogan inadvertently Im- eliminating the Macho Man Randy Savage, but you can definitely tell if there was any lingering doubt that anybody may have had that there was a problem between these guys, uh, it quickly gets wiped out here. Your thoughts on how they built this, how they did it, how they pulled it off, because I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah, like you said, it's it's widely regarded as one of the top storylines in wrestling history. Right. And you can take a handful of those and you can argue for all of them being number one. This is definitely one of them. And we're lucky enough to be currently experiencing one uh, right now. Right. On this on this very road to WrestleMania 39. But, yeah, once again, it's something where not having a match between two people, but both being involved in something different. Right. Leads to just enhancing the storyline and being almost better than having a match because you're saving little bits of pieces of it, right? It's kind of like the mini build you talked about where they didn't really get involved with each other right away in this match, in this rumble. And now here all of a sudden, like you said, the fuse is the fuse is lit. Right. And, and there was always the potential for that. As soon as you knew that both guys were in the match, you know, and it, it's something that I don't think too many people let their minds wander that far down, but the potential was there, you know, what if, what if they're the last two in the, in the ring, what was going to happen? And they kind of tease that a little bit in the vignettes. Like Rob was talking about, there were some vignettes and Hulk kind of mentioned what would happen if it was him and macho at the end of this thing. But, uh, but yeah, Rob, this is, this is kind of like, you know, the, the fuse is lit here. It's going to, it's going to turn into an inferno in a few weeks from now. Uh, but yeah, the fuse is lit here. The mega powers are, are disintegrating pretty quickly. Uh, what were your thoughts on the way they kind of furthered the storyline and did it like Tony's saying, doing it this way, not a match between these guys, just a segment where things go a little bit wrong between these two guys? Uh, well, this this was perfect. This was um, perfectly done here. And like, like yeah, and we talked about this being one of the best storylines ever. And right now I have this in the bloodline and I've, well, I've moved the bloodline ahead of it just because of it's been going because they've made they've been able to maintain it for longer now. Now they have to, uh, you know, they, you know, obviously it depends on how certain things get resolved, but this for a, for a story that had a, a kind of hard beginning, you know, and then, you know, specific points in the middle and then basically like a hard ending. Um, this was the best one. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, and this, you know, they hit all the point, the, the important points in between, they hit them and they executed all of them perfectly. And this one here where, like I said, Hogan throws up Bad News Brown, who was also one of the more underrated players Agreed. of that era. And um, and then, you know, then Macho gets pissed off, runs back in the ring, and they you know, they go at it, you know, they get in each other's face and all that stuff. And that was just perfectly done. And, you know, Elizabeth coming in there to, to calm them down and all of that, um, that, yeah, that was as well done as you could do something. And, and see, if you were watching at the time, you know, if you if you missed on the, the kind of clue at the end of Survivor Series, 
then this was the one that really woke you up. Right. Right. I mean, there were, there was, it was, it was very subtle at SummerSlam. And we talked about this the last chapter, very subtle at SummerSlam, an awkward glance. Survivor Series is much more pronounced. And like DJ and I were talking about, we're Savage kind of looking at the crowd, looking at Hogan and like, you know, am I crazy? Are you guys seeing all this stuff that I'm seeing? And here it all comes to a head with these two guys in each other's face, nearly coming to blows until Elizabeth smooths this whole thing out. But yeah, it's uh, and it's all based on jealousy, you know, jealousy over the title, jealousy over a female, uh, you know, Elizabeth granted that sort of thing. But Let's get back to the match because then you get the big boss man comes in at 22 and Akeem the African Dream comes in at 23. So the Twin Towers just happen to draw consecutive numbers, right? Right. Um, They immediately go after Hulk Hogan. Hulk puts up a good fight. Shockingly gets eliminated by the Twin Towers. So with Hogan out of this thing, you're thinking, holy crap, who's going to win this match at this point? I remember in 89 thinking, what? Hulk's out of here too? But yeah, Hogan gets eliminated by the Twin Towers. Um, Brutus the Barber Beefcake comes in at number 24. But although Hulk's out of this match, he's still at ringside, brawling with the Twin Towers. He yanks a top rope down, uh, sending Boss Man to the ring floor. So Hulk Hogan eliminates the big Boss Man, even though he's out of the match as well. So this is going on. And of course, this whole thing between the Mega Powers and Twin Towers is going to escalate significantly. The uh, Red Rooster comes in at number 25. Uh, the Barbarian comes in at 26. Big John Stud comes in at 27. Hercules at 28. Rick Martell at 29. And lo and behold, the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase just happens to draw the number 30. Just happened to draw it, Tony. It just the random luck of the draw. Just draw. Yeah, exactly. Ted DiBiase paid off. Didn't they have that like earlier in the match? He was like talking to Slick and he's like, hey, what did your guys draw? And he like brings Slick over and he's like, let me talk to you about something. So you know that Ted DiBiase bought off Slick for the number 30 entry in the match. So at this point in time, everybody's in the match who's going to be in the match. Um, Looking around, I I don't think that anything really kind of stands out as saying, yeah, that's the guy who's going to win this thing. Maybe, you know, looking back on it, trying to like shield myself from everything I know. I'd say maybe DiBiase was the favorite, but, you know, we're not going to have a, a heel win this thing. So that kind of eliminates him from the whole equation. But the field's in there. Let, let's let's get to the end of this thing and, and talk some of this stuff through. DiBiase's going to eliminate the Red Rooster. No big surprise there. The Rooster is already, I think, he's broken away from Bobby Heenan at this point in time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's going to have a match with him. At right. Me. If you can call yeah. it a batch. <laughs> You know, I mean, they're going to count it. <laughs> they're going to count. Hey, there's a three count, right, Tony? That's a match, right? Oh, we're not going to get it. We're not going to get in that. Not always. All right. Not always. <laughs> With a Brutus the Barber beefcake on Hercules' back, DiBiase and the Barbarian combine to dump both Brutus and Hercules out of the match. So, you know, DiBiase is having a good time at this point in time, getting the better of some of the people who he's involved with uh, the most at this point in time. Rick Martell, who's uh, who's back at this point in time, he's going to avoid a clothesline by the Barbarian, hits him with a dropkick and eliminates him. So there's some uh, some love for Rick Martell at this point as he gets rid of the Barbarian. Akeem then catches Martell trying a running crossbody, and he dumps him out of the match. So now it's down to Big John Stud, Akeem, and Ted DiBiase. And it certainly doesn't look good for the only babyface remaining in this match with Big John Stud facing off against Akeem and DiBiase. But as we'll see, guys, this uh, this turns into a 
an interesting affair. Stud is going to pull DiBiase in front of him as Akeem goes for an avalanche, crushing DiBiase. Stud then is going to knock Akeem over the top rope with a big forearm shot. And we're now down for this first true Royal Rumble, down to Big John Stud and Ted DiBiase. Stud has his way with DiBiase as he lets Luth loose with a bunch of suplexes so DiBiase gets taken to suplex city before it's like a real thing by big john stud and then he's going to toss DiBiase out to win the royal rumble uh stud also is going to abuse virgil when virgil tries to get involved yes and that's how this whole thing i know and DiBiase tries to buy he tries to pay off stud to convince him to like basically eliminate himself that doesn't work stud who you know, notorious, one of the biggest heels in the business was the guy who cut Andre the Giant's hair, was involved at WrestleMania 1 with Andre the Giant in that slam match. Um, now suddenly turns into super babyface, can't be bought, whereas in the past a, a, a bus ticket probably would have bought his services. But here he's like, nope, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to take the money, Mr. DiBiase. I'm just going to beat your ass and eliminate you. And Big John Studd, I mean, is the is the winner of the second Royal Rumble, but the first winner of a true Royal Rumble. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier. This is before guys got title shots for winning the Rumble. Um, <laughs> just, you can make the argument that they did. They never did anything less with a Royal Rumble winner than they did with Big John Studd because he's not even in a match. He's a special referee at WrestleMania five. Uh, Tony, your thoughts on the how the Royal Rumble 1989 ended up. Big John Stud, the winner, um, didn't do much with him, but the match itself was pretty good, I thought. Did Big John Stud Billy Gunn the Royal Rumble? Is that what happened there? Uh, yes. <laughs> there you, go. Um, you know, I think where they wanted to ha- position him, though, was you see Andre on the downside, and, you know, it's always got to have that attraction of a big guy, and they were like, well, hey, if something happens, or, you know, at certain times, Big John Stud can be this attraction as a good guy. Yeah, I agree. Rob, what are your thoughts? Big John Stud winning this thing and the way that it way that it went down at the end and 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 that sort of thing. We'll we'll loop back around to I mean, yeah, Stud, they, I don't know why they didn't give him a more high pro like you're saying, WrestleMania five is just this bloated card. Why didn't why did we give Stud just the uh special ref role in the Jake Andre match? Um, well, because I think all right, they well they brought him back and then he was supposed to feud with Andre. And then he ended up just leaving before that ever got going. So, I mean, as far as him winning, like when Hogan got eliminated, like you're saying, it was just like, well, man, who's left? <laughs> and I think that kind of kind of took a lot of the air out of the balloon, to be honest. Um, because, yeah, because we you know we're just kind of sitting there. Um, you don't know who's left, and then. You know, when, you know, when Stud does come out there, it's kind of like, okay, well, um, it must be him because he just had the big comeback and everything, right? And and another thing, no, um, no entrance music for anybody, right? When yeah. they came out there, they just walked out there. Right. Um, so I don't know when they started doing the entrance music, um, but yeah, I don't know what year they started doing that, uh, it's but not, it's not ninety. I don't think I. I'm not sure when they start doing the entrance music. Maybe ninety one, ninety two. No, not even ninety two. I don't know when they do it. I guess we'll figure it out. But <laughs> yeah, but um, it was. I mean, in hindsight, this was kind of like a well, okay, kind of you know, winner. Uh, but 
they intended to do something with him, you know, with him and Andre, but it, it, I guess for, I don't know why he didn't stick around, but he was, um, yeah, I mean, he was gone shortly after WrestleMania five, um, whatever they were supposed to do and just ended up not happening. And so, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a, almost like a flat ending almost. Um, and of course, and look back then, we you know we didn't know what this was even supposed to mean winning the Royal Rumble, and that's, so and that's the other thing. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's just kind of I don't know, like a little flat. Um, now Hogan, you know, getting eliminated and then eliminating the Big Boss Man, you know, that's in, that's another kind of point along the line of Hulk Hogan being a sore loser. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't take uh, losing too easy, did he? I mean, he was one of the sorest losers, you know, <laughs> for especially for a baby face. I mean, if he lost the match, he was going to come back and he was going to whack you over the head after, after it was over. Uh, <laughs> so this is right in, in, in line with all of that. And then, you know, it's... um, But then, yeah, it's just... um, Yeah, to me, it was just... I mean, it was... It's kind of a flat ending. And, and instead, it was just kind of just weird as a baby face. Cause I mean, he was a big heel before that and it wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like some type of, you know, he wasn't particularly like charming or anything or, you know, or, you know, or like he didn't have really any qualities that would suggest you, you know, would try to make him a baby face. And so it was just, it was kind of just weird and it, it didn't really, I don't think it really, really took very well. Um, yeah, it doesn't translate to anything <laughs> later on yeah, down the line. Like you're saying, it, Stud vanishes uh, after WrestleMania 5. They tease him. We'll talk about that. They tease him with Andre, but it never really... I got to look that up to see how that materialized. But Yeah, and it's just, you know, it just didn't... Um, it, it was just kind of weird. And um, and then, of course, him winning the whole thing. Again, like once you know Hogan was out, it was just kind of like, oh, okay. Then of course, Hogan would, win, would go on to win the next two. The next two, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but like you're saying, when, once Hulk got eliminated, it's kind of similar to WrestleMania Four, right, Tony? When Hulk got eliminated from that, it took some of the air out of the uh, tournament until Savage won at the end, and it kind of injected it right back in there. Right, it's the hard thing to do when you have Hulk Hogan in the middle of Hulkamania, right? Is how do you not have him win all the time, every single time? Um, I was trying to find what Royal Rumble they started playing their music while they came out, and it's not 95 so far. So, wow. um, yeah, wow. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of surprised once I started seeing guys like uh, Nash and Luger come out, but they didn't play their music. But wow. yeah, you know that's that's the that's the that's the con of, of 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 Hogan back in the day like that. I mean, I remember I seen him at a house show in the late 80s wrestle uh, Mr. Perfect for the. Um, world title put it on the line in milwaukee and that was one of the best hogan matches i had ever seen you got to work with perfect you know uh, and he could still move but yeah i mean i don't know yeah like, i got mean because i was just thinking like would, would, would it have been better to do the mega powers angle at the end and have, have hogan win the whole thing i mean that's a way to look at, like if hogan had eliminated savage at the end and then that became the big blow up between them i mean would that have been the better way to do it. I, I mean, well, we'll talk, let, we'll talk about this in just a moment before I let you guys go. But um, before we do that, let me, let me get from you guys, your idea of the score for the Royal rumble, 1989 on a scale of one to 10. What would you give this thing? Tony, what do you give this? Oh, maybe like a 
I don't know, six and a half, maybe six, six and a half. Okay. It wasn't great. I mean, we're not really getting a lot of the, I mean, it, it was a lot of the same stuff going on. I like the way they booked the Andre thing. I like the part with Hogan and, and macho, but John stud wins this thing. And it's kind of, that's kind of really deflating to me. <laughs> that's true. Rob, on a scale of one to 10, what do you give Royal Rumble 1989? Um, yeah, it's a five or six because what is one of those like was anything okay were there any parts that were like bad i'd say not really but would i have any desire to watch any of this show again probably not um yeah i, I just you know i'd um so yeah i'd say maybe five or six yeah i mean again nothing nothing bad or repulsive but no yeah look i'll probably never watch this show again so <laughs> <laughs> i mean wow. I, you know um, it was just because it's just you know it's just going yeah okay see you know? but it it had the points in the rumble match itself served their purpose so maybe you know maybe I'd watch the rumble up until Hogan gets eliminated right um, well at least you're not investing a lot of time after that so yeah what is that that's where music first started you're uh, no one can hear you Tony you got to there you go. 96 96, 96. Okay. 96 when they first started the music um wow. I, I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10 I'm rating it higher than you guys because the superpose down I thought was hugely important for the warrior to become a, a a bigger star than he was and yeah the the way that you really got the the furtherance of the savage hogan storyline granted I I think you guys are right you know if you put it at the end it would it have been more impactful sure absolutely uh, the way they did it, though, just kind of like drug it out, teased it a little bit more, teasing the friction building and that sort of thing. So I, I give the scare. I rate this a little bit higher than you guys, but that's just me. So um, did you guys want to talk before before we cut out of here? You guys want to talk about the main event from hey Tony, the Bradley Center, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Did you ever go there? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we could we could touch base. You guys want to touch bases on on what happens here before we leave, and then we can reconvene for WrestleMania five because this is is arguably more important than the Royal Rumble is. Yeah, and now this was man, this was. Um, I mean, you want to talk about melodramatic? I mean, oh man, <laughs> oh man, right? There's the thing where Elizabeth gets knocked off the apron. She, yeah, like like you're saying, Rob. So I mean, the mega powers fully explode on February third, nineteen eighty nine. At the main event, the second main event, we saw the first one was the Hogan-Andre rematch, which, of course, ended in all that controversy. Yeah. <clears throat> this this is the second one. And, yeah, the main event of this whole thing, and we're not going to talk about the rest of the card because, you know, it's it's largely overshadowed, and I don't even remember what happens. But, yeah, me neither. The, but the main event, I remember very well. And 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 it's, it's a match between the mega powers, Ryan, Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, with Elizabeth versus the Twin Towers. And... As the match is going on, God love Liz, man. She took one of the worst bumps that that you could possibly take. And she's a frail little woman at this point in time. She's not big. Yeah. And Savage gets thrown out of the ring onto her, and her head slams pretty hard against the con. This could have been really, really bad. So I think, yeah. you know, when it happened and you watched her hit, and you're not really sure where she's really out or not, um, Hulk is going to end up taking Elizabeth to the back. Savage is going to be in the ring and just absorbs a hellacious amount of abuse at this point in time. But he can't, the, the Twin Towers don't put him away until Hogan gets Liz set up, comes back to the ring. Savage is eventually able to like gain the advantage 
and is going to tag Hogan out. And instead he grabs Hulk by the hand and slaps the shit out of him and leaves Hulk Hogan and walks to the back. Hogan is going to eventually win this match. And then, of course, we get the iconic blow up in the back with Hulk and, and Macho screaming at each other. Liz on a hospital bed. Uh, Hogan, you know, Macho basically telling Hulk, you know, if you'd ask for a title like a man, I would beat you one, two, three. That'd be fine, you know. And and Hogan just like, Liz, for God's sakes, talk some sense in him. And Randy just blasts him in the head with the WWF championship. Brutus Beefcake tries to help Hulk, and he gets the shit kicked out of him as well. And that is it. The mega powers have officially disintegrated and we're on the road to WrestleMania five. Um, this is as far as breakups go. This is one of the best ones I've ever seen. And just everything that they did on And we could sit there and say, yeah, maybe they should have done the Royal rumble differently. Maybe they should have had him slid up at the end, but then you look at what they pulled off with this and it was done so fucking well that, yeah, no, like, no, I don't think they should have had him split up at the Royal rumble. I think I would have just done the angle that they had in the middle of the match. I would have just had that be the finish. Okay. And then and then they you know then they do the same argument. Liz, Liz smooths it out and they move on yeah. to this. Yeah, that 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 would have been a cool way to do it. And I mean, and you could make the argument that Hulk winning that creates even more friction as to, hey, who's the rightful champion? This guy just eliminated you and won the Royal Rumble. So yeah, why doesn't and, he uh, get a title shot? You know, but but get yeah, uh, I, I see what you're saying. That's a good point. But getting back to this, this is one of the most iconic breakups. I mean, there's there's so many iconic moments in this segment that is indelibly burned in my brain for eternity that I want to get your guys thoughts on, on this match, how they, how they organize it, how they structured it. The, this <laughs> Elizabeth taking that horrific bump and just the way that it all went down. Rob, I'll turn to you first on this one, man. Oh man. So this was melodramatic as hell. Um, Cause when Hogan picked her up and was carrying to the back, he looked like it was Tears like the in cover his eyes. Of- yeah. I mean, it looked like, like the cover of Crisis on Infinite Earths where Superman is carrying Supergirl up and she's been killed. <laughs> wow. right? that's, that's what There's it looks an image like. for you. Yeah, right? And, and he's just got this look on his face like, oh, no, it's the end of the world. You know, and 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 then, you know, of course, then Savage is getting the shit kicked out of him while that's going on. And then, you know, and, and then, like I said, the part where Hogan comes back out and then Savage, you know, pops him in the face and then just walks out on him and is like, screw you. And, um... And see, the thing about this, all right, this is the importance of, like, actually taking the time to build something. Because, I mean, nowadays, we, you know, they, they throw a tag team together, and then they split up, like, six months later. And, or not maybe not even that long. And they don't even do anything together enough to build any type of bond, right? So what exactly is being broken when they break up? It, it's just, like, it's just it's just a wrestling angle, right? And it doesn't really have any heart to it or any you know, anything to it or any real meat to it. Right. And it's just, so here that they took the time, you know, they built this over a year and, you know, and then they put, you know, just building block after building block and, you know, grew it into the point where everything looked, you know, really strong between the two of them. And then they slowly just, you know, introduce one thing at a time you know, like you said, at SummerSlam, there was just, you know, there was like a, a facial expression. Then, you know, then Survivor Series, Savage is kind of looking over at him like, you know. And then, and then, and then you, in Royal Rumble, we have this, you know, the big argument. And then you finally have the big blow up. And so they spent, you know, again, a year and a half building. And 
these two guys actually they first before it started coming apart they they built a rock solid partnership uh to the point where i mean at wrestlemania 4 when savage is having to deal with you know andre and DiBiase in the match you know he tells elizabeth well, you know go get you know go get hogan you know to, and so they they built enough they built this bond between the two of them to where you know Hogan, you know, where, where Hogan was the guy Savage would call to even things up. He was the first guy Hogan would call. And Hogan came out there and he, you know, and he delivered, you know, everything he was supposed to, that you were supposed to do for your best friend or whatever. And so they take the time, they took the time to build all that up and to build this thing into something. And then they, they didn't, you know, and they didn't break it immediately. They they had little signs and little things along the way. And, and then they finally got to this point. And this is the importance of doing this stuff um, when you go, if you want a good story. And because again, too many times now, you know, they throw they throw two people together, and then the whole thing it comes and goes within six months, and they barely even do anything to to build it into a real partnership of any kind. And then and then the whole thing comes apart so quickly, and then it's it's just kind of like, okay. Yeah, they broke. Okay, yeah, this well, this is what we knew was going to happen. So this here, I mean, again, this they took the time, they took their time with this, and they made this into something real. And so by the time the big moment happened, it had some heft to it. It you know, it it had some meaning to it, and it wasn't just a couple of guys saying promos or you know doing an angle, right? I'm just this was an actual story, and it had some real, like some real substance to it between the two guys and so that when they did break up the break like it meant something it meant something that these two guys were now going to fight each other it was um no you're right it was heartbreaking for people like me at the time who love macho man randy savage to see it get to this point where they're now at odds with each other and now i got to choose between these two guys there are a lot of us who didn't want to have to make that choice and, and now we're forced to kind of thrust into that and and their story you know from being bitter rivals before savage gets hit over the head with the guitar and hulk rescues him the first time and then reluctantly they come together and then like you're saying rob they become brothers you know the solidest of foundation and then to see it all fall apart over jealousy is it's it's a great story it's 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 heartbreaking but uh tunny let me turn it over to you i mean we've talked about it and you've talked about how well the story was built and, you know, maybe the bloodline story is better or not recency bias. And we'll see where that ends up because that story is still being written. So who knows? Um, but, you know, your thoughts on how the mega powers finally came to an end and how they structured this and put this all together, that infamous night in Milwaukee. Yeah. One night in Milwaukee, one night in Milwaukee, uh, baby. That's right. Uh, so you guys hit on all the major points and major reasons why this works, right? On top of all that, it is Hulk Hogan and it is Macho Man Randy Savage, two of the greatest ever. And then on top of that, you kind of see Vince using one of his favorite things, real life. A lot of this has a lot of, uh, you know, uh, mirroring of what's happening with Randy and Elizabeth, you know, backstage. And Hogan's definitely involved in all of that. If you think about all the stories outside of wrestling between them. So anytime you add that real life element in there, whether it's something that's happening between these people or something that it's relatable to other people in their own life, that's where you're going to make the money. Yeah. And this, uh, this makes a lot of money and we're, we're going to see it all pay off 
at WrestleMania five as, as this tremendous storyline, this story arc that has taken, yeah, a year and a half to build from beginning to explosion comes to a head at WrestleMania five. When these two guys go at it for the championship, Fellas, it's going to do it for this first half of Chapter 5 here, Royal Rumble 1989. Before we cut out, uh, let's let people know where they can check you guys out. Rob, why don't you start? Where can people find you on social media and what you got going on in the chair shot? Okay, so um, you can find me on Twitter at R-B-O-N-N-E-1. And on the, as far as chair shot stuff, I'm on the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. We're up once a week with DJ and Jason. Uh, you can also find I occasionally write stuff on my own website. It's called robsagenius.com. And no I do my no own No ego at all there, folks. None. Well, and and see, that it was, okay, now to explain what's going on now, because <laughs> it's, it, it's half of a rib on myself, and it's also a, a tribute to uh, or my favorite member of the Wu-Tang Clan, who is the, the Jizza genius. So gotcha. Gotcha. it was a combination of the two things. Uh, but now, but after being on after being on Twitter eleven years, compared to a lot of people I see every day, I very much am a genius. So <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, that, that's true. But that's putting the bar so low, Rob. Anyway, uh, I know. It, but look, look. I always <laughs> say, look, it's not that I'm smarter than all these other people. It's just, it's just there's so much stupider than me. That's true. There's a lot of dumb motherfuckers out there. So that that's for sure. Twitter's littered with them. Uh, <laughs> Somebody who's not a dumb motherfucker, though, is yeah. one PC. Well, you know, <laughs> PC Tunny, where could people check you out on social media and the chair shot and so forth? So on. Yeah. Just follow me at PC Tunny and uh, continue to listen to everything on Chair Shot Radio Network. All right, guys. Thank you both so much for being a part of this first chapter, chapter, chapter five, talking about an interesting Royal Rumble, to be sure. In the next, in the second half of Chapter 5, it is WrestleMania 5. The Mega Powers officially explode. We will be back for us. It might be a week or so. For you guys, it's Quantumania. You'll never know it. You'll never even know it happened. It's like you were asleep. So thank you, Rob. Thank you for being a part of this. Tony, of course, thank you as always. And we will be catching up with you guys very shortly after this commercial break. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for the second half of Chapter 5 of the Big Four Project. It's a lot of numbers going on in different directions, but you guys know what I'm talking about. 
We just got done. It was myself, PC Tony, Rob Bennett talking about Royal Rumble 1989 with the furtherance of the mega power destruction angle going on. And Tony, we did talk about it. Remind me because you're younger than me and a lot sharper. We did talk about the uh, the main event in the Bradley Center, didn't we? With the uh, we did. We did. And the true implosion, explosion, whatever you want to call it, something with shun in the ending suffix of the mega powers with Macho Man Randy Savage waffling Hulk Hogan over the head with the WWF championship, uh, tossing Elizabeth across the, I mean, yeah, that was, I don't know how they faked that. I'm not sure they did fake that, <laughs> but he, he <laughs> threw her across the uh, recovery room where, uh, where she was being tended to. Liz had a rough night that DJ, we didn't even get your opinion on that thing, but we did talk about the main event where the, it all went down. Everything exploded. Uh, man, Liz took a couple of pretty nasty bumps in that whole thing, didn't she? She did. She did. I'm, I, it's been a little while since I've watched it, um, but I, I do remember, you know, that. And I remember, you know, at that point in time in my life going, man, this is uh, this is rough stuff. To see Liz, as you talked about in, in Chapter 4, she was the she was the quintessential lady. Like, she just was. And, and she was this delicate creature that you didn't think would ever get manhandled like this yet here we are getting she's getting manhandled and next thing you know she's on a stretcher in the recovery room and gets manhandled in the recovery room by her by the macho man randy savage who tosses her across the room like like you know like just she's a feather it was uh it was disturbing it was disturbing in 89 you would never in a million years get away with that shit nowadays (laughs) that would never 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 fly but again Mm. This is 1989, kids. So you got to have a little, a little bit of a uh, of tolerance. The dogs are like reminding me that they don't like it either. But anyway, that set the stage. It wasn't long after this the Mega Powers explode. Hulk Hogan is granted the shot at the Macho Man Randy Savage at WrestleMania Five, and it is officially entitled the Mega Powers Explode. Um, this thing takes place April second, 1989, from the Trump Towers. In Atlantic City, New Jersey, this is the only time to date. And pro- I mean, unless you're going to count nights one and two of WrestleMania in the current format as two separate events happening at the same location, we will never have another WrestleMania taking place at the same venue two years in a row. Right, guys? I mean, this is it. Right. Yeah, they did uh, the, the Trump Towers two years in a row. And I believe that this WrestleMania had the highest buy rate of any WrestleMania up until... Um, I think what 14 I think it was where, where Austin and, and HBK <clears throat> fought at the when the Attitude Era reached its apex I think right Tony you're looking yeah at this it. buy rate came in just over six actually which is huge back then, so that means they yeah. did yeah which basically meant back then they did just over six million pay-per-view buys that's obscene I, I mean they would kill for six million right now, wouldn't they? Or, or how much? How many? I mean, I don't know what the buy was for WrestleMania 38. I don't know if it was that much, was it? Well, the the network kind of offsets yeah, that. That's true. That's true. This was yeah. That's so. That's apples and oranges. This but was, I see where you're going. This was the heyday of pay per view. This was a this was a big event. I mean, as big as WrestleMania four was, and it was huge. This was even bigger. Um, go ahead, Tony. No, no, I was going to go off on a tangent and said all this. This is WWE at this point in time has really hit its stride. And for me was probably at its peak before it started to, to, you know, to decline into the early mid nineties. 
and this was probably this year and the following year, which I know Tony is going to be looking forward to WrestleMania six. Cause that's the first one. I think he says he actually personally remembers, um, you know, but going back to this one, this was the culmination of what many of us still consider to be the greatest storyline in professional wrestling history with this great friendship, this, 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 this bonding of these brothers disintegrating in front of your eyes and culminating in a match that you just, and it was great because, you know, you really got, people got divided. Even if they weren't outwardly expressing support for the macho man, Randy Savage, people like me internally were wrestling with it. And that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. You too as well, DJ. It's like, it's like, I, I know I'm not supposed to cheer for Macho Man, but I can't kind of can't help it. And maybe he's right. And, 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 you know, I wanted to say this, and I know Tony's got it ready to go. The promos leading into this event, especially between Savage and Hogan, Savage cuts one of the best promos I've ever heard leading into WrestleMania five. And it still resonates loudly today. Tony, do you have that? Let, let's let's dissect this bad boy. Just listen to the master in action here. Hulk Hogan, yeah. You say you don't know where the macho man is coming from? Yeah, you're right. You don't know anything about the macho man, Randy Savage, and where I'm coming from. Because it's mind-boggling to you, yeah. One man could make it to the top of the World Wrestling Federation mountain, yeah, all by myself. No pukesters helping me to the left, and no pukesters helping me to the right. Didn't need them then, don't need them now. And another person I don't need is Elizabeth either, yeah, because I'm the champion by myself, all by myself. You don't know where I'm coming from, Hulk Hogan, this Sunday afternoon. But I know where you're coming from, yeah. I know everything about Hulk Hogan, yeah. I know what makes you tick, yeah. And you've got the audacity, yeah, to see that in WrestleMania 5, that Hulkamania is going to survive. You don't know me, Hulk Hogan. You don't know where I'm coming from. After I beat you with that big elbow and pin you one, two, three, guaranteed victory. I'm going to tell you and all the pukesters out there one last time before this Sunday afternoon. Hulkamania cocaine's a hell of a drug guys i mean i you got you got to say it when 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 you listen (laughs) that wasn't even the one i was thinking of tony actually but that's a good one as well i was thinking of the one where he's talking about he's going to he he goes down hulkamoni oh you gotta get in your hot dog and in your grandstanding oh yeah you say you love me like a brother i hate your guts yeah i mean that's all that shit it's fantastic i think it's better actually that i grabbed the wrong one because then we wouldn't have gotten you doing the one you wanted you did it oh so well (laughs) that that was actually pretty spot on there that that one wasn't bad i hate your guts oh kogan yeah uh but uh it's 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 excellent stuff and along the way on the way to one of the subplots of this main event is the 
allegiance of Elizabeth, who everybody was wondering whose corner is she going to be. And she's got to be in Savage's corner, right? But she's Hulk's manager. Liz takes the easy way out and decides, I'm going to be in a neutral corner, which, of course, is not going to go over well. Savage is irate about that. And it's it's off to the races. So the stage is set for one of the biggest WrestleManias of all time. Um, it's not one of the best. We're going to talk about that. The card is pretty glutted and pretty bloated and lots of matches that don't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. But the main event is one of the biggest, you know, it's, I don't know, what do you guys think? Top 10 main events of all time? Not necessarily technical standpoint, but just sheer importance. Hey, I was going to say importance was the word I was thinking in in terms of sheer importance. Absolute top 10. Tony, you yeah. agree with that? I would say possibly if, well, importance easily like that's not even a question right because we talked about the significance of the storyline so i think if you want to put in quality of match and importance and significance all encompassing i still think it would be in the top 10 that'd be a fun list to do after i think wrestlemania 40 what are the top 10 what's the top quarter main events of the 40 wrestlemanias and then by proxy you'd have to come along with these double nighters and go okay what was actually the main event well it's the last match, folks. That's what a main event is. Okay. Yeah. As you know. We, we no, can argue WWE's that to try- the cows come home, but it's the last yeah, we, match of night two. Yeah. WWE's trying to fool you into different things, but yeah, I won't go down that path right now. Listen to the DWI podcast. Oh, I'm going to uh, take you down that path later on. But anyway, let's oh, okay. let's get into. I can't the, wait. Let's get into this WrestleMania five. Like I said, April second, nineteen eighty nine, the final WrestleMania of the eighties, uh, and of course. Jesse the Body Ventura, Gorilla Monsoon on commentary, as is the case for the first six WrestleManias, and you really wouldn't want to have it any other way. Um, however, you know it's going to be rough, guys, when Rock and Robin is singing the national anthem to start things off. And um, it's not Carl Lewis bad, but it's not good. <laughs> that's that's about all you can say about it. It's it's like wait. I mean, Mean Gene knocked it out of the park better than that in WrestleMania one. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 troubling. It's like, wait, Vince, why Rock and Robin? Why we couldn't get anybody else? Anyway, I don't remember. Was she the women's champ at that point? Yep, and that was the end of the women's championship. That was it. Yeah, she killed it right (laughs) there. That was it. Oh, seriously, it was. Yeah, you had Gladys Knight the year before at WrestleMania four, who was fantastic, and and then we followed up with Rock and Robin. So, not a good start. Perhaps an ominous omen to the way things were going to go down. But of course, you know, ex-president Trump is in the front row looking regal and, and young at this time and not, you know, everything else that's gone on with him since then, whatever side of the fence you're on. But anyway, um, first match of WrestleMania five, King Haku with Bobby the Brain Heaton taking on Hercules. Um, this is a pretty good match. The the end is kind of similar to Hercules match from WrestleMania four with the warrior. However, in reverse where Hercules is going to catch Haku with a belly to back suplex, but Herc is going to roll his shoulder off the mat as the ref is going to make the count. Haku does not. And it's Hercules who gets the victory to start WrestleMania five in, in a decent match. I'm not sure why Hercules didn't win the crown. You know, Haku was the king right now. They did kind of toy with the crown being an unofficial title, I guess, what air, air quote title. But um, I thought, you know, this this match, I thought it was it's decent, but it's kind of lazy booking on this on their part, because like, well, this is the same match from a year before. You just changed the roles around. Uh, DJ, you got any thoughts on on uh, on this Haku Hercules opener? 
Uh, I, I'm glad that, you know, fast forwarding, you know, 20 some odd years later that we don't have like the curtain jerker match anymore. Now they want the match that starts the crowd out hot. I, this match did not start the crowd out hot. I mean, we had a little bit of personal involvement with Hercules with the, as we talked about in, you know, in a previous show, the, uh, he, the baby face turned from him, but I, there was, I, for me, very little emotional connection to this match. Um, I, I was checked out on Hercules and, I didn't like King Haku for all the reasons you were supposed to. Tony, you got anything on this? It was one of the middle of the road matches of the night, and it was one of the lower middle of the road matches of the night. Yeah. There's a lot of bad matches here. The card the card's absolutely horrible, to be honest with you. Like match wise, like quality. There's some interesting matchups if they could have given them time, but they had so many freaking matches that we're going to almost be saying the same thing here about a lot of things. I, I honestly, I think the main event's the only above average match. Maybe, maybe one other, but it didn't get a lot of time. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah there. I just want to, I just want to preface my overall mood on this pay-per-view till we get to the main event. That's, That's all. <laughs> preface away. Preface away. No, you're right though. The, the, the card is bloated. It's, it's, it's very bloated. It, it's, it's just, um, it's one of these situations where, they put a lot of matches on the card and a lot of them don't make a whole lot of sense. And there's not a lot of story built into them. One of the better matches though, I thought was, and, and this one's kind of guilty. What Tony says, not enough time in this match, but let's be honest. The rockers versus the twin towers with slick is a very good match. It's just, this should have started the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, yeah. Just, absolutely agree with you. It's just too short. It's too short of a match. Like Tony says, the Rockers are fantastic in this match, and their hit-and-run tactics work for a while, and you almost entertain the thought that maybe they can pull this off, but Sean's going to get caught uh, trying for a flying-seated senton on the boss man who power bombs him. Akeem, Akeem then hits the big splash. The Twin Towers get the win. Um, I love this match. I, I thought this is really good. It's just, like Tunney says, too short on this card where you have this problem repeatedly. Too many matches. They're too short. This one could have been stretched out for another five minutes. Nobody would have complained. You got to see how good the Rockers really were against guys who they had no business being able to hang with. And they did more than hang. They damn near won. Tony, is this one of the matches you're thinking is, is better than some of the other ones? This is like a, there. there's four matches that were above average. Right. And this is tied for third with another tag team match that we'll talk about. And it's the dynamic. You brought it up. It, it's a fun matchup to watch, especially when you have little guys who can work well with big guys, believably. And let's let's flip the tables too. the big guys did a good job of making it believable that the little guys were doing what they were doing, because at the time, you know, probably Sean is probably beefier than he ever is in his career. Yeah, but he's still but he's still a little little guy. No, He's a high absolutely. Flyer against the two big guys, you know, so great dynamic. Like, yeah, a 12, 13 minute match here would have been amazing. DJ, what are your what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I'm pretty much in line with Tony. I do enjoy a good sprint of a match. I don't think everything needs to be this epic Broadway match. Um, I don't know what the, I don't have the time of this match, but I know it was much less than 10 to 12 minutes. Um, and so eight total minutes is what Tony, Tony's giving me the eight signal here. Uh, so it's about eight total minutes, which was fine for what they did. Um, but again, watching the rockers try and climb that literal mountain 
in in the in the Twin Towers was was a hell of a lot of fun, you know, for a sprint match. Yeah, absolutely. I and I think uh yeah, 12 minutes would have been a good time for this match, but you're you guys are right. The, the Towers made uh Sean and Marty look really good in this situation. So good stuff. Go ahead, Tony. Can I preface the next match? Please. Since so I can preface away. Preface away, please. Talk about the opposite one time in the night. Why did this match get 10 minutes? This was a 10-minute match next. And it's a 10-minute match with no conclusion, which is even worse. Because you've got when you've got a match up involving the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase and Brutus the Barber Beefcake, at this stage in their respective careers at WrestleMania five, you you should have something more definitive than what you get here. But again, Brutus and DJ, we've talked about it on other episodes. Brutus just doesn't get a chance to shine. Um, and this one, basically, he foils DiBiase's million-dollar dream attempt by getting to the ropes. He's got the match won, similar to WrestleMania four. He's got DiBiase in the sleeper hold. But Virgil is going to save the day by distracting Brutus, who inexplicably says, you know what? I'm going to go after this asshole outside the ring. A big brawl ensues. Everybody's counted out. Ten minutes. Nobody wins. It was okay up till that point. The end just really kind of sours me on this whole thing. Tony, you you mentioned you prefaced the match as to why did this thing get ten minutes? Um, you know, if you're going to go ten minutes like they did, you should have had a more definitive outcome. They didn't. It's just a schmoz of a finish. Your thoughts, if any? It sounded like DiBiase said, "I'm not, I'm not laying down." And they went, all right, we'll do a double count. He might be right. He might have said, you know, after you guys screwed me over last year, I'm not taking the L this year. Uh, I've I put over Savage at, at WrestleMania four. I put him over at SummerSlam. Uh, I put big fucking John Studd over at the Royal Rumble. I'm not laying down anymore. Maybe you're right. Maybe he they just said, all right, you're not going to lose, but you ain't winning either. DJ, you're, you got any thoughts? I know you were a big fan of Brutus at the time. He uh, takes, it in the short, takes it in the shorts kind of sort of again here. Yeah, being a fan of Bruce Beefcake, man, I was always pissed off with the guy. And it, it, that always left me scratching my head as to why Brutus Beefcake never won something major. Like, I think the closest thing he ever won uh, that came to winning something big was when he teamed up with Hulk Hogan, you know, down the line. And but th- this is just one of those things where I I, I agree with Tony. I have a feeling this was probably a creative uh you know, not going to work for me, brother, type of situation. DiBiase is supposed to be the top heel in the company. And here he is in a, in a match that means absolutely nothing with one of Vince's comedic wrestlers in Brutus Beefcake. So, and, and the comedic wrestler is fine. Like I said, I was a fan. But DiBiase is supposed to be the top heel. I think there was a bit of a, you know, protecting the gimmick going on in this one. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you guys. I would not. And, and after the stuff that DiBiase has done for the last year, I don't fault him for saying I'm not losing to the guy who looks like a hand grenade blew up in his pants, as Jesse, Ven- right. as Jesse Ventura would say numerous times. Um, the next match kind of bugs the shit out of me because of the outcome. <laughs> Tony's, Tony's laughing. Fabulous Ruscio brothers with Jimmy Hart taking on the Bushwhackers. All right. I get it. The, go ahead, PC. No, no, go ahead. I, I just say, I'll go. I'll I, go last. I'll go last because okay. I'm going to preface the next match and bring this whole fucking timing thing into a conclusion. So yes. uh, I got the I got the timings covered. You guys get your get get you, your feelings you out the of the way. 
I get that the Bushwhackers were very over in 1989. I get that they were, everybody's doing the exactly Tunny. We're not filming, but Tunny's on video doing the whole thing. The Bushwhackers with their arms. I get they're very over. They had, there's no reason the fabulous Rougeau brothers are so underrated. And I know there's a lot of big push. Even Hulk Hogan's starting to talk about now that the Rougeaus should be in the hall of fame. And he's right. And he's right. Uh, and in this match, they come out on the short end of the stick. They lose because they're too busy celebrating. The Bushwhackers take advantage. There's a battering ram. There's a double stomach buster. The Bushwhackers get a win. Everybody in the arena is happy. The wrestling purists like us are rolling our eyes saying, you got to be shitting me. Tony, how long was this match? Nine minutes. Nine minutes for this bullshit. And most of it is if just gonna, the Bushwhackers gonna, marching around the ring. Gonna, right? Yeah. If you're going to do that, make it a three-minute match where they catch the Rougeos off guard, everybody goes nuts, and now the crowd's fired up for the rest of the fucking night. I mean, let's get they let's give them let's give them five minutes. Five minutes. Let's give Brutus and Ted five minutes. Right? That's all they fucking needed. Now we got nine extra fucking minutes. Well, you know what? If we get three minutes to the Rockers match, that's eleven minutes. That's a little bit better, and we could give the other six minutes to the next fucking match, please. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get to that because it it's a travesty. Uh, you're right, um, DJ. I, I can already tell Tony's as thrilled about the outcome of this match as I am, and he's as thrilled about the time expended in this match as I am. How do you feel about it? Don't hold back, DJ. I can tell I, you're you're. Why in the fuck did this match even happen? Like bushwhackers. I, this is the bushwhackers, this feels like, man. This feels like okay. We talked about this on the Mindless Wrestling podcast, and we compared. We we asked the question: Is should WrestleMania be a best of the best type show, or should it be the show where we try to fit as much talent as possible on the card? And this match really feels like hey, everybody's got to get a turn. So let's book the fucking Bushwhackers versus the Rougeos, who I agree are absolutely Hall of Fame worthy. You and I talked about this, Dave. I would love to see a one-on-one with the Rougeos from then with FTR now. Mm -hmm. We are talking about a work rate extravaganza that probably wouldn't be touched. I just want to hit one thing, DJ, because I agree with you. Um, What is WrestleMania? What are the big four actually now? Because... At some point between where we're at now in in time talking about WrestleMania 5 and where we're at now in actual time, 2023, WrestleMania 39, there was a point where only the best of the best made the big four pay-per-views. Right. That's, that's what the rest of the shows were for. And now, once again like this, it just feels like, what's special about it? Right. I mean, it's this should be your your your. This the showcase of the immortals. Literally, the that's build, the tagline no. of the show. You know, and so you got to be the best of the best in your craft to get on the show. WrestleMania is the show. You know, so now we're handing out participation trophies. Well, and I think you know that's part of the problem we've all had with the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal or whatever Tony calls it on his show, which is a mouthful. Uh, I'm not going to try and yeah. repeat it. It's Andre at the Royal Giant Memorial Battle Rumble. Yeah. And we actually, this, past, this past week on DWI, DPA and I actually commented, and I did, on the fact that I believe if I had the chance to meet Andre and let him know what I actually think it should be called, he would say that it should be called that, most definitely. Instead of anything in his honor, because it certainly is, because that's all it is. It's just getting everybody else who doesn't have a slot on the show, we're going to put him in this match. And it and, and they've done it with the women's battle royal as well. 
And it, it's both. And I think you could make the argument that if you look at WrestleMania one, eh, two, a little bit, three, not so much four, definitely not because they had the tournament. This is the first one where you look at some of these matches and say, this is bloated. We just put people on here for the sake of putting people on here. A lot of these matches don't make sense. And this is one of them right here. Absolutely. I don't remember the next one being like that, though. No, no. The next one. Let's talk about the next match because it's Mr. Perfect versus the Blue Blazer. And I, and I think DJ and I, you talked, we talked about it, I think, when we did the Survivor Series 89 review. Uh, the Blue Blazer, who we all know and love, is Owen Hart. Um, this is when he's doing this this high-flying gimmick, which is very kind of like not so much Owen. Owen could go, and he could do the aerial stuff, but he became a much more grounded, more technical person without the mask when he was Owen Hart. You look at this match on paper. Holy shit. Kurt Henning versus Owen Hart at WrestleMania. Um, it, it's it's a good... Okay, and this is the thing. I know Tony's going to say it. What What's the time on this one? Because it's too short. 530 fuck that jesus that's all it's look and the match you understand where i'm coming from with these four matches that follow each other these oh, no, four I'm, matches, I'm on the same page you are bro insane but yeah now yeah. you know why because like and, five and a half minutes i mean right you know just, they barely gave perfect time to rib owen in the ring and just the the action in the ring because blue blazer owen does a hell of a showing in this match he almost gets the pin he does that really really nice crucifix roll up that almost you think he's going to get the pin perfect still undefeated at this point in time um he doesn't get the pin he complains to the ref about the count perfect is going to blast him in the head with a forearm shot and then hits the perfect plex to stay unbeaten yeah i would have liked to seen this one get you said five minutes honey give me 10 more minutes between these guys i would have been fine with that and and I mean these are these are two guys who can really really go, and you could see just in the short amount of time that they had, the chemistry that they had with each other was really solid, and it just it just like like Tony's saying, it's way too short of a match. I get Perfect getting the win. I don't have any problem with with Perfect getting the win at this point in time. He is undefeated. They are building him up to be the Intercontinental Champion eventually, uh, to be a, and and to be a credible threat for Hogan after WrestleMania five. I get all that. But this match should have had more time. Tony, go ahead. I got to see Mr. Perfect fight, uh, battle Hulk Hogan for the title at a house show. And it was one of the best Hulk Hogan matches I've ever seen because he was working with Kurt. And it was there was multiple false finishes like that were believable. And you don't get a lot of that out of Hogan's side, right? Like Perfect had him a few times. And it was just something Hogan probably wouldn't let you see on TV, unfortunately. But you think about what if Hogan could have done that late in his early WWF career. And you think about what if he could have done that with Roddy? What if he could have done that with Jake? You know, I mean, think about all those different things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a a lot of people that Hulk could have worked with. And the fact that he did make Kurt look as good as he did on these house shows, I think I saw one as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, Henning, it was believable. You thought he might actually pull this shit off, but... Alas, it never happened. DJ, your thoughts on this match, other than we know it's too short. Um, but for the time it had, it was fun while it lasted. Uh, it was fun while it lasted. Absolutely no problem with Mr. Perfect going over on this one. The guy was on the rise. They were still introducing. I mean, the, the Blue Blazer was an introductory gimmick. And, you know, I think, it, and I don't know if it ever happened, that my memory, you know, uh, fails me at this point. Uh, not Blue Blazer versus Perf- Mr. Perfect. But I would love to have seen full fruition 
Owen Hart versus peak Mr. Perfect. Because that's the match you give 10, 12, 15 minutes to. You know, introductory gimmick, Blue Blazer. I don't think you give them any more. I think five minutes was a little too short. I think maybe seven to eight would have been a little better if you're trying to uh, if you're trying to get this kid over. You know, and the kid, I mean, you know, Blue Blazer. But um, yeah, all in all, I thought it was fine. You know, it's, it could have been a little longer. I think, like by the um, time, because I know Perfect's a special ref for Luger and Yokozuna at WrestleMania ten. And, yes. and that's when Owen is really coming into his own because he beats Brett. So I think he was nursing an injury at that point in time. I think he had a neck injury or something at that point, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, it's Pico and Hart and Mr. Perfect were never they, they, the stars never aligned for that. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate because that would have been a hell of a match to to watch. Um, after this, you know, you get this match, you get run DMC performing a WrestleMania rap, which is. Okay, you know, it's 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 definitely a step up from Rock and Robin doing the uh, national anthem. So there is that. You got to give Run DMC some love. Then we get the interesting three on two handicap match. And DJ, you and I talked about Survivor Series um, 89 with the double turn involving a manager, which has still never been replicated to this day. Nor right. should it. And it probably is not going to be because we don't really have managers. But. You get the situation. Powers of Pain team up with Fuji to take on Demolition for the tag titles um it's another pretty disappointing match tony how long is this one eight minutes so more than it needed but i mean the funny thing is it's interesting you look back at it like is that a is that a positive or a negative for the powers of pain mr fuji being pinnable for a win you would think i mean by modern standards you would say oh fuji's the one who's he's taking the fall on this thing but Yes. But back then, you know, Fuji was still regarded as a, you know, former tag team champion who with who Saito. He was with Mr. Saito, I believe yeah. a former tag champion. So Fuji was still kind of perceived as somebody who could sort of go. Um, but you know, the match itself, Fuji's going to try to throw some salt into smash his eyes as warlord holds. him. we're going to see this many years later at WrestleMania nine, the same sort of situation situation, smash ducks. Warlord gets a face full of salt. Fuji is the, uh, He's the he's the fall guy. He gets crushed by the demolition decapitation as the champions retain the tag team championship. So as it turns out, by modern standards, we would have said Fuji's taking the fall. By 1989 standards, we're saying Fuji's taking the fall, and he does. And that's how demolition isn't this, retains. Isn't this post-Fuji managing demolition, though? So it, it kind of makes a little sense. We Retribution right, wise. Right. And I think Fuji wanted to take that. You know, like, hey, if I'm going to be in this match, I want to take the finisher you know, uh, I, I see that. Yeah, I, I think a DJ and I talked about it. So like in Survivor Series 89, at the end of the match, Fuji switches alliances because Demolition wouldn't do what he told him and the powers of pain would. And so he betrays Demolition, joins the powers of pain. And this is the the culmination. Six months later, we get this three on two match that is just pretty shitty. And, you know, the highlight is Warlord getting salt thrown in his eyes. Fuji getting decapitated, and and that's it. And really, that is the blow-off to this feud. Because after that, Demolition's going to go in a kind of a different direction and start to go back to more of their heelish tactics eventually. And Powers of Pain, really, they... Uh, DJ, I don't know. They never recover from this, do they? No, and, and I think at the end of the day, and this is no offense to the guy, the Warlord just was never very good. 
right. Um, he just wasn't, and I think to a degree he kind of bogged down the Barbarian's career, who was a, definitely a better worker. If you go back and watch some old WCW, I think they were the faces of fear. It was uh, Ming and, you know, the Barbarian teamed up. He, they had some hellacious matches. Like they were a they were a badass tag team and, and Barbarian definitely much better worker. He had mud, he had some incredible matches, I believe, with uh, Cactus Jack and some other folks in WCW. So the guy really was a, a a genuine tough guy and a good worker. He just got saddled with a guy that I think he was he was trying to carry, and I think and, and unfortunately by the time Vince split them up, the damage had already been done, and you know WWE fans were not were not on board for a warlord or a barbarian singles wrestler. I think the warlord is kind of a poor man's Hercules, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And no offense to the guy, but... Just walking out with the fucking, you know, shoulder pads and a face mask. And and I don't know what's up with the Wario stick for the warlord. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That that's a good call, Tony. I, yeah, that that's an interesting face mask. And what the fuck is going on? Um. Anyway, demolition retains the powers of pain. It was, you know, the road warrior knockoffs that they were. You know, everybody talks about demolition being the knockoffs. Psh, and we talked about it before, DJ. Powers of pain were the true road warrior knockoffs, not so much demolition. Um. The next and that wasn't even on Vince because they came into the WWE already having established that gimmick. Yeah, and they never changed (laughs) anything about him. Never changed anything about him. It's on Vince because Vince changes everything and he changed nothing there. So he knew what he was doing there. That's right. Yeah, he knew the. He was trying. I can't have them all just fake. I mean, Undertaker. I mean, whatever. People are gone. He just fake peoples them, and you know, no big deal. These guys (laughs) suck. I'm not changing anything. Gilbert, whatever, you know. Um, I own the gimmick, pal. <laughs> the next match, Dino Bravo with Frenchie Martin taking on Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie Thanks. Garvin, former former NWA champion. Um, this match, thankfully, this one's pretty short, right, Tony? Three minutes? Awesome. Three minutes. Uh, it gets completely overshadowed by the reemergence of Superfly Jimmy Snuka, who's coming back to the WWF. Everybody pops for Superfly. Nobody gives two shits about this match. Uh, it's for three minutes. It's a decent enough brawl, but Bravo's going to catch Garvin with a inverted atomic drop hits a side suplex. Dino Bravo's still getting wins at this point in time, guys. I I'm genuinely surprised. And then post-match Garvin is going to deal out some damage to Frenchie Martin with the Garvin stomp. So everybody's kind of sort of happy and not happy and disappointed at the same time. Tony three minutes. If we talk about this match longer than it happened, I think we all failed on this podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. DJ, you got any thoughts on uh, Dino Bravo beating Ronnie Garvin here? I was pissed off. I was a Ronnie Garvin fan when he was in NWA. I was, I, although I understand the backstory behind how Ronnie Garvin won the NWA championship. I popped big for it when it happened. When he came to WWE, I was like, oh, shit, Ronnie Garvin, this dude's a legitimate tough guy. His WWE career was abysmal. I'm sure he had, you know, got paid a lot of money, but his entire run was just awful. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have a, a, I mean, the only meaningful feud is with Valentine. And, with even, Valentine. That, and, then, and even that's fumbled badly. Yeah, they, they made him a referee at one point. I'm yes. like, yes. And they and they managed to somehow turn Valentine face out of the wreckage of that thing. Anyway, you could turn Greg Valentine face. You've accomplished something, but it doesn't work out so well. The the next match is is interesting. 
because it's kind of important because it's going to kick off one of the better feuds in WWF over the next year or so. Um, and, and it's one, it's the brain busters, Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, two members of the legendary four horsemen come to WWF. The best thing that they ever did, DJ teaming them up with Bobby, the brain Heenan. Brilliant, Absolutely. brilliant maneuver by Vince at, at this point. If you're going to take two guys of the four horsemen, this is a few years before flair is going to come in. Right. But you're going to take two members of the four horsemen, put them with the best manager in the history of professional wrestling, probably, and give them the name brain busters. Brilliant. They take on the reuniting strike force. Now strike force hasn't been as uh, together as a team since they lost to demolition at WrestleMania four, although Tito and Rick Martel were kind of involved in survivor series. I think maybe even the Royal rumble as well. So they get the former champs back together. The brain busters. Meanwhile, show exactly the tra- tra- trajectory that they are on in this match because they have great tag team work in this match. The turning point of the match and this rivalry that's coming is when Tito accidentally nails Rick Martel with the flying forearm, knocking him to the ring floor. Martel's going to, he's going to be trying to like get his wits together the rest of the match. Then he just flat out walks away from the match, leaving Santana high and dry. The brain busters are eventually going to put Tito Santana down for the count with that awesome spike pal driver. Fantastic stuff. Backstage, Martel is going to go fucking off in ballistic, telling Mean Gene how Santana's timing was off. He's sick of him, and he's lucky that all he did was simply walk away. So here at WrestleMania 5, the Brain Busters win. They emphatically put down the former champions, and you get the beginnings of this pretty damn good rivalry that's going to go on for the next six months to a year. Tony, what's up? The arrogance of Rick Martel. That bastard. That's true. The arrogance of Rick, the, the model Rick Martel, as he will turn into. Uh, Tony, I'll turn it to you first. Um, how long was this match? This one probably was about right. I felt like this one was about right for what they were trying to do, the story that they were telling, and everything that was going on. This felt about right to me. Nine. Just over nine. Okay. Just under nine and a half. I, yeah. So you know, you figure I like I like what you like you what you said there because this didn't need to be longer because Martel walked out, right? Like he, it, it, it should have been not as long as you had wanted it to get. I mean, and we're really critiquing the, you know, booking wasn't like this back then. They tried to fit as much shit on, you know, like you said, they do it the next year too. I didn't think so, but I checked and they did. Um, but yeah, I mean, think about like modern day, you know, I, it's always, it's always hard to compare apples and oranges, but think about like the brain busters in, you know, the early 2020s instead with, with like Paul Heyman, you know, you know, or, or a breakup. Like, I mean, what's the last big tag team breakup we had, to be honest with you. Oh, there you go. There you go. Roxanne Perez and Cora Jade. I don't know about that. I I just threw that out there. (laughs) What's the last really big tag team guys who split up? I'm trying to think of, uh, I mean, Jeez. I think they've kind of done away with that trope. Yeah, I mean, which I'm now, glad. nowadays it's more teams coming together, like Dean, and, like Dean and Seth coming together, John Moxley. And well, Seth I think coming the, together, I think the next Kevin big one. I think the next big one's about to happen um, on April first or second. Jimmy and Jay. No, well, I don't think they're going to break up. I think the story is just beginning. I think even with Roman losing at Mania, and probably the Usos as well, I think the the bloodline story continues through the next year and a half but 
I think Montez Ford and and and, uh, and Angelo Dawkins break up because you know why? Bianca could use a heel turn as well. So you've been you've been advocating that for a while, and you're you're planting your flag on all these on is. all these predictions for WrestleMania here, buddy. Die on that hill, brother. Die. Ooh, yeah, brother. Die on that hill. All right. uh, anyway, um, I do it every year. You'll forget. <laughs> I go, but I remember all the ones that I crushed. Just ask Greg if he picked Charlotte or Oscar. He picked Charlotte. He'll tell you. He will. He will. He was right. Uh, yeah. So this was, and and the other thing I like about this match is 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 Tully and Arn played up really well. Once they realize that Martell's gone, you could tell that they're looking at each other like, let's have some fun with this fucker here. So, so they oh, the blood's in the water. At yeah, that point. They, they it's a feeding frenzy. They smell the blood in the water. Go ahead, Tony. FTR, right? This oh, they, is totally FTR. They are FTR oh, yeah. before FTR. And, and, right. and, and anybody or, who or says whatever, it. Whichever way you want it, FTR is the brain buster. They are. Whatever. It's absolutely. The same thing. Absolutely. And, and that's great. Not in a bad way. Anybody who doesn't see that is not a pro wrestling fan. You know? And if you don't see, if you don't see the brain busters and the four horsemen in FTR, then, you know, you know, you, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I really don't. Or even there's elements of all sorts of great teams. The Heart Foundation is, is built into FTR as well. There's lots of stuff. We made the this comparison to the Rougeos yes. in the last episode. Yes, them too. Just cutting the ring off, the way they cut the ring off, the way they just, everything about that was very classic Rougeau heel tactics. And they work, and knowing how to work the hot tag, elements that are just not used anymore. But um, right after this match with, with the breakup of Strike Force, which sets off a really good rivalry, you get the famous and the infamous Piper's Pit segment involving Roddy Piper, Brother Love in red underwear, and Morton Downey Jr. in a fire extinguisher guy. Um, Piper had been gone since WrestleMania three, so he re- makes his return after two years here. Uh, you know, being retired, and this is kind of we're going to integrate Roddy back into this a little bit at a time. And, you know, we're going to see him. Well, you won't see the match on on the cock next year, the Piper Bad News Brown match, because that's, you know, we've gotten rid of that because Roddy blackfaced half of himself and we can't have that. Can't show that on the cock. Something about that whole sentence just sounds wrong. Anyway, uh, the <laughs> the 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 segment here with Morton Downey Jr. blowing a cigarette in Roddy's face numerous times and getting a fire extinguisher to the face for his trouble, which I've read conflicting reports as to whether Morton Downey Jr. was expecting that or not. I would not be surprised if Roddy kind of went into business for himself on that because that seems like what Roddy would have done. Yeah, Roddy? Roddy? No. Oh, Mr. I didn't let anybody pin me for how long? That's right, until until (laughs) WrestleMania 8. What, coming out of the Northwest, Washington and Oregon? You're right, right. And I mean, this segment was like in a bloated card that's too long by most standards. How Tony, Tony, how long was this segment? Did you take the? Did you write this down? No, I don't have the segments. This Dave. had to be 15 minutes at least. It was too long. Too long. Too involved. Way too long. Brother Love was that the f- stuff with Piper and Brother Love was fine. The stuff with Piper and Morton Downey Jr. was, uh, you know, again, kids. It's 1989. Cigarettes are still a big thing at this point in time and Morton Downey Jr. chain smoke and prick that he was, uh, it got kind of what was coming to him in this whole segment. And I kind of liked it. And it was, it was quintessential Piper. The crowd popped big for it. It's one of the first times that, that Vince is going to use, uh, something like this mid WrestleMania. This kind of, you see this happen more and more often 
over the years. This is Vince. This is Vince dabbling with it with the first for the first time. I think it kind of went over pretty well, um, but yeah, it, it just goes on too damn long. You guys got any thoughts about this? I thought it was a fun segment. I mean, you know, back in what, 1989, 1990, whatever it was, I popped for it. I thought it was funny. Um, you know, looking back at it now, I'm like, yeah, it was probably about five to seven minutes, way too long. But and the other thing was, you know, trying to convince myself that I was now supposed to like Roddy Piper. Um, after years of, I hate this guy, he's an asshole, he tried to kill Hulk Hogan. Now, you know, uh, Roddy Piper's a guy I'm supposed to cheer. That was a little awkward back in the day. Yeah, but they, they made you cheer for him at WrestleMania 3 when he cut Adonis's hair and walked, rode off in the sunset, DJ. Yeah. You, you were a fan. You know it. Come on. I, I was, admit but it. in two years, yeah, the mind forgets when you're you know 15 years old. Well, and in between that, he made They Live. So, you know, that was an underrated movie. There you go. So Roddy, yeah. Roddy had that going for him, but now he's going to come back into the fold. Tony, you got any thoughts on, on this whole thing? No. <laughs> he's not the best color man in the industry for nothing folks that's DC Tony right there uh, that was great that broadcast school's really paying off money that's right <laughs> um the next match is is it okay so we talked about it Tony on the last on the first part of chapter five big John Studd's reward for winning the winning the 1989 Royal Rumble was not a title shot at Macho Man Randy Savage, or even whoever won the match between Savage and Hogan. Your reward, Big John, is you are the special referee for this match between Andre the Giant with Bobby the Brain Heenan, of course, and Jake the Snake Roberts. And, <laughs> yeah, the Royal Rumble winner, special referee. What a what a prestigious reward for that rousing victory at the Royal Rumble, right? DJ, we didn't have you on the last for the first half of this chapter stud wins the rumble and special ref. Are you in favor of that? (laughs) I, yeah, that's uh, what a long way we've come since that, uh, (laughs) right. Since, since that day, I think at this point, I think Vincent real John stud was a big dude and John stud was a good brawling dude, but I, I don't, my memories of John stud were not particularly exciting. And I think at that point, I think Vince had realized, yeah, he's a big guy. He's good in these big slugfest brawling situations. But that's where the story with him started and stopped. And I think Vince just kind of looked at him and said, okay, we got to find something for him to do because we're here. Let's give him this. Yeah. And I think like Tony on the first half of the chapter, Rob was talking about uh, his belief that Stud was kind of in line for a push, but that he kind of left before it ever really materialized. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. The guy, the guy lived uh, in Northern Virginia where I was like, he came into the grocery store where I worked a few times. I was like, this is one big motherfucker. Um, And so I got to talk to him a little bit here and there. I don't know whether he was really going to get a push or not. You know, it's like, you're not going over Hulk Hogan. That's for damn sure. No, but I think they were going to put him over Andre because everything he's doing involves Andre. Right. Um, Even here. So why not have the next guy to go against Hogan say, well, I beat Andre too. So and Andre you know, must... and it's not, it, it's still a big guy, but it's a more athletic guy than Andre at the time. Absolutely. Even though, even though he's getting up there too. And, and yeah. Andre must've had some sort of affinity for John because he worked with him at WrestleMania one. You can tell here that, that he's, he's willing to let stud get some, get some moves in over him in this match. 
as they get involved as we're going to talk about. So I guess, you know, Andre only liked a handful of people. Stud probably was one of the ones who he, he got along Definitely with. Definitely wasn't the guy that was also in the ring that night. No, that's for damn sure. Because <laughs> in this, in this match, um, Andre dominates as you would expect, you know, Andre's going to dominate Jake. Jake puts up a good fight. Andre then spends way a lot more time getting into it with big John stud than he does focusing on Jake. Cause he's just ragdolling Jake all over the ring. Jake is going to go for Damien. Ted DiBiase and Virgil come back from the earlier bullshit with the barber. They grab Damien. They take off with him. When this, as this is going on, Andre the Giant decides it's time to attack Big John Stud. Jake catches up to DiBiase and Virgil. Retreat, retrieves Damien. Jake tosses Damien into the ring. Andre flees. Jake wins by disqualification, I guess, or I guess it could have been count out. Who the hell really cares at this point in time? And Tony, how long was this match? Nine, nine, uh, almost ten. All right. I mean. we look, I think like DJ and I talked about it on Survivor Series 89 when Tito Santana tried to do a sunset flip on Andre the Giant. That wasn't going to happen. Similarly, Jake the Snake Roberts was not going to DDT Andre the Giant. That was not no, going that to was happen. Not happening. So in that respect, <laughs> nine minutes of just, uh, you know, bullshittery with Andre dominating, Jake getting in a few moves here and there. Damian makes an appearance. DiBiase and Virgil make an appearance. Andre gets into it with stud. You got everything going on here and nothing matters. And Jake gets a WrestleMania victory over Andre the Giant, albeit by disqualification. Nine minutes for all that nonsense going on. Eh, okay. DJ. It's a good way to play all the hits. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Let's check the box. Yeah. Okay. Damien made an appearance check. Did that. I mean, the only thing missing was a DDT. I mean, did, did yep. Virgil get hit with one or DiBiase? I don't think so. They got the hell out of there. That's the only yeah, thing that I don't was think really missing. got it. That's really all they were missing. You, If you checked that box, I'd say much better. But they didn't. And anyway. So in the record books, Jake beats Andre by disqualification. Okay. <laughs> Tony, you got any, uh, any final thoughts on this match? No. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's shooting two for... <laughs> Thanks, Monty. <laughs> Listen to that it crowd. Sucked. It sucked. It was horrible. It was almost as bad as the fucking last segment. <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, let's move on since Tony is a man of many words in this ep- this well, chapter. Well, I mean, I just floor. why waste time on the things that suck? Well, we've got seventy two matches to get w- through. We're not going to waste w- a whole lot of time. WWF did it. Why should we do it in return? <laughs> That's true. You're right, Tony. I'm glad you're here to keep me straight. No, <laughs> we talked not. about uh, rhythm and blues. <laughs> <laughs> rhythm and blues with Jimmy the Mouth of the South Heart versus the Heart Foundation in a tag team match. That actually is a pretty damn good match as far as tag team matches go and as far as matches on this bloated, fucked up card. Um, there's This one is actually pretty damn good. Honky's going to make a big mistake when he hits Brett with shake, rattle, and roll, but he inexplicably opts not to go for the pin. The Hart Foundation is then going to rally, and when Jimmy Hart tries to get involved, this backfires as the anvil is going to smash Jimmy's... Me- snatch, excuse me, Jimmy's megaphone passes it to Brett, Brett clobbers honky-tonk with it and gets the pin to score the win for the Hart Foundation, who are very resurgent at this point in time. Vince kind of dabbled with turning Brett into a, a babyface singles wrestler, decides, ah, let's let's let the Hart Foundation roll for a little bit longer. Um, you've got a lot of talent in this ring, uh, in this match, a lot of talent. You've got the former tag team champions, the Hart Foundation. You've got 
two of the longest reigning Intercontinental Champions of all time on the same team. All of them can go. Tony, how long was this match? And a former tag champ in in Greg Valentine, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, like, that's just not, it's not just a foreign kind of thing. This was just under eight minutes. Um, Tony, I'm imagining you kind of like this match. It was a good match. It was. I mean, it's, there's, you got four Hall of Famers in this ring right now. I mean, they're going to make something work. And plus, like you said, we're, we're leading back towards the Hart Foundation and demolition again, aren't we? Um, so th- it's just, it's just, it's just working. And, and Greg, the hammer Valentine has got to be one of the most underrated professional wrestlers of all time. People that don't know who he is and what he did. That's a guy who held on to a gimmick and did it great for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Valentine's underrated honkies criminally underrated no, because you hated him I so i think he's underrated because you hated him so like, much no i don't know the character i don't i don't i don't hate the character and i don't hate the person but i like the character more than the person how's that sound that sounds uh, almost reasonable there uh, that, that that that's better than your uh you know one word response Un- to the last couple of unreasonable matches. is probably at the bottom of this can so get used to that <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, DJ, what are your thoughts on, on this match? Like Tony saying, and we all said, you know, you got four hall of famers who can all go in this match. This was, this was well done. You know, honky does make a bad mistake. Had the match one fucked around five hall of famers, five Jimmy Hart. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This was a great match. All in all, this was a great match. I, I always found, and I don't disagree with what you guys are saying about Greg Valentine, criminally underrated wrestler, simply because he was so, low key he like he wasn't this flamboyant personality he was just a dude that went out there and beat people up in, in a in an era where everybody had a persona everybody was over the top greg valentine's over the top personality was i'm going to beat you up and i'm going to put the figure four on you with the shin guard wrapped around backwards um so at, at first i thought the pairing of him and honky tonk man as rhythm blues was really freaking like out there because Honky, by contrast, was all character. And he was one of the, the great all-time characters in the WWE history. And you paired him up with, at least on the surface, one of the most bland, boring personalities on the planet. And, but you made they made this work. Like, Rhythm and Blues really worked. And it just, you yeah, know, just all in all, incredible match. And you can, I, I think the... The, the decision to keep the Tarts as a tag team really kind of stemmed from the fact that, yeah, you see the potential, you see the vision with Brett, but there's no room right now. The IC field is bloated in the mid card. The, the, he ain't going anywhere near the world title anytime in the near future. Leave him in a tag team. That, that's where his strength is, and that's where his value is in the company at this point in time in the game. <clears throat> everything, everything you guys say, absolutely true. Rhythm and Blues – Probably an underrated team. Um, could have benefited from a title run, but they weren't beating Demolition at this point in time. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, at least not, yeah. I mean, it's just the configuration of Demolition at that time. <clears throat> um, the next match, I think, what do you guys think? Probably one of the bigger upsets in WrestleMania history. Ravishing Rick Rude, dethroning the Ultimate Warrior for the Intercontinental Championship, given the trajectory these guys were going to be on pretty soon. But, but I will say this. I... At the time it happened, of course, I hated it because I was a big Warrior fan. But now looking back on it, 
and looking at Rick Rude and, and what he accomplished in his career, and what he should have accomplished and what he didn't accomplish. I love the outcome of this match because it gave Rude a, a, an intercontinental, intercontinental championship run. It It's the only time really that you're going to see not warrior never gets pinned clean in WWE. As far as I know, never, never happens. And, and in this one, you know, Bobby, the brain Heenan at this point in time, the knock on Bobby had been, he can't win a title. He had never won gold before. And Jesse, the body Ventura does a tremendous job of playing this up during this match. And during this event, as far as Bobby, the brain Heenan trying to break through, trying to win gold. Heenan is the one who takes this. He takes it onto himself. He is the one who creates this opportunity Warrior dominates this match. I mean, it's no surprise. Warrior dominates. Rude has a few flurries here and there, but by and large, he's just getting his ass whipped by the Warrior, as he should after what he pulled at the Royal Rumble and the Super Pose down. Sure. But when Warrior tries to do like some outside-in suplex, Bobby the Brain Heenan grabs his leg, trips him, Rude falls on top of him. Now, this shouldn't pin a guy the strength of the Ultimate Warrior, but it does. And, and Ravishing Rick Rude is your Intercontinental Champion. And in one of the bigger upsets in WrestleMania history... It's not a good match. Don't kid yourself. The outcome is great. Bobby Heenan getting the uh, getting his first taste of gold is the high watermark of this whole thing next to the main event. It's probably the high watermark of WrestleMania 5. Tony, I don't know how long this match went. I don't think it really matters. <laughs> but your your thoughts on your thoughts on this one, PC. Rude, we've said it before, <clears throat> underrated, deserving of the Hall of Fame. Thankfully, he got in there posthumously that it was. But um, yeah, this was this is this was a good moment for Rick Rude. Uh, just under ten minutes, Bobby Heenan comes off better than both wrestlers in this match. Yep. Why would you do anything but let Warrior beat somebody up who's really good at getting beat up in Rick Rude? Because Warrior's really not good at anything else. I think the beatdown that Warrior took from Rude sets up the fact in your mind that Rude could possibly beat Warrior. All he needed was a little help, and that's what happened. And the positive for Warrior here is it shows Vince McMahon that he can sustain sustain a feud, right? And unfortunately, we never got that with the main person he took the title from, which I think was the long-term goal. But that's kind of really where we're working towards because, let's face it, besides, you know, armbands with, you know, shoelaces hanging down or strings and and muscles and face paint and hair and run into the ring, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot more except for incomprehensible promos, Tony. Don't forget that. Oh, that was, that was the, that that was an actual promo recreation. Tony, thank you so much. I did it twice. Did you want a third one? I get the button again. <laughs> Ooh, you got to get in your hot dog and in grandstand. And don't you tell Yeah. yeah. DJ. Well, you, you know me well. <laughs> I, I'm going to be on And I've told you guys in the, in, in episode four, I was a huge mark for the ultimate warrior to, so two things here. One, at this point in time, I had never watched a show where a match wanted me, made me want to stop watching the show in that moment. And when the Ultimate Warrior lost the Intercontinental Championship, not only when he lost it, but the way he lost it, I was so fucking pissed off in the moment. I didn't even want to watch the rest of the show. Like the rest of the show, they could have they could have set somebody on fire on the show and I wouldn't have given a damn less. Second thing about that, was there ever a wrestler that made the Ultimate Warrior look better than Rick Rude? Oh, no. Rick oh, well, Rude. Well, maybe. Okay, Tony's, Tony's nodding. I can think of one. 
He had a great match with Hulk Hogan, and we'll probably talk about that somewhere down the line. And every other match he had was average at best. No, period. No, End no. of story. There's one person oh, yeah. who there's one person who made Warrior look better than Rude or Hogan, and that's Randy Savage. Uh, I still think the Hogan match was better. I, yeah, and I I think as an over I, to make the Warrior look like a million bucks, Rick Rude was the guy. Like Hulk Hogan, Rick Rude got the warrior ready to wrestle Hogan. He did. And and, and let's 100% be, agree. Rude and warrior are going to have three excellent main event matches. Well, not main yes. event, but matches this one, SummerSlam 89, SummerSlam 90 Hogan and warrior, the one match savage and warrior, of course, have the iconic r- retirement match. And then SummerSlam 92 and flair and perfect get involved. But, um, yeah, I think I I just think Savage was the one who got more out of Warrior than anybody. Uh, but I I will say this in Tunney's defense, I'm defending Tunney. In a match, in you know, Savage is different and Rude is different because those guys could go and they could work and they could call stuff in the ring and make it look great. Hogan is not known for that, and Hogan was the ring general at WrestleMania six against Warrior, and he and Warrior wanted to check out of that match in the first five minutes. Let's go home, brother. And Hulk's like, fuck you. You know, so, you know, he, he basically, we haven't even got to the outside for the first time yet. Right. We right. got, we're still in the multiple rep bumps. We're Come still on, in guys. the test of strength part of this fucking thing. And you want to go home? No. So in that respect, Tony's right. But I mean, you know, Savage is different because Savage, as we're going to see in a, just a few moments can make anybody look good and look fantastic. So yeah, I, and I, and I hear you DJ when this went down, it was just like, holy shit. Wait, what? I, I yep. so and, and so in that respect, you know, we're still in the early stages of WrestleMania history, which is by and large very face friendly events. This is one of the bigger, you know, Demolition taking the tag titles from Strike Force the year before was another one. This is one of the bigger heel victories in WrestleMania early WrestleMania history, and it's it's massively important. You take the belt off a guy like the Warrior who was riding as high as you could get after what he did to Honky Tonk Man and going in there. But it does set the stage for that epic rematch that they have a few months later at SummerSlam. Yeah. So, yeah. I, it, that's... It, go ahead, DJ. Go ahead and finish, and I'll, I'll, no, I'll go in. I was done. Okay. That's something that modern wrestling fans really need to study because a lot of times they forget about the journey. And while that loss pissed me off in the moment, it was supposed to... Because, again, like you said, it led into this absolutely incredible rematch. And the rematch was better than the than the original match. It was. And, 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 and Rude, you really believe Rude was going to win again at SummerSlam 89. We'll yes. talk about that in Chapter 6. But yes. Rude looks well on his way to beating the Warrior in that match until Piper gets involved. In. Yeah, it was a much different match the second time around. And, and wrestling fans need to remember that. Yeah, your favorite may have lost tonight, but give it some time. Ride it out. Wait to, wait to see what happens because it may pay off for you in a fantastic way. Tony, do you have something? Putting in the time, that makes it worth it. Yep. That's right. See, you got six words out of Tony there, folks. That That's progress. We're working. Tony, <laughs> <laughs> the, the next match is not really a match. It's just a fight. Let's be honest. Bad News Brown, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. It's just a straight-up fight. There's no wrestling involved here. Hacksaw avoids the ghetto blaster, hits Bad News Brown with the three-point stance. 
Bad News is going to grab a chair. Hacksaw is going to get his two by four. Both guys go after each other and they both get disqualified. It's it's extreme rules before there's extreme rules and there is no finality to it. And you know what? I was cool with it. <laughs> this was kind of fun. You know, I didn't I didn't have too many issues with it. I was like, who gives a shit about these two guys? Let them beat the fuck out of each other. Give them a two by four. Give them a chair. I yeah, as soon as Bad News Brown or got hit with that three point stance and he just rolls out the ring and he's just huffing away and he grabs that chair and he just goes in. It's like, yeah, this this makes perfect sense to me. I, I didn't have any problem with this. I was like, fine, this is okay for me. Tony, he's got nothing. <laughs> DJ. Uh, tight. Bless you, Tony. <laughs> and he's and he's having another one. Here he goes. He's on a fit. Um, yeah, this one this one was fun. It, it did what it was meant to do. It popped the crowd. It got everybody moving. And it was one of those things where like Hacksaw was one of those guys who again kind of like Brutus was super over with the crowd, but never really won anything significant. Like he won all the little battles, but Hacksaw never won the war. And this was one of those things where you had Hacksaw, who's over with the crowd. So obviously you want to get him on WrestleMania. Bad News Brown just came out of an incredible run, being kind of an integral cog in the the, the implosion of the Mega Powers, because they, they kind of tried to divert you a little bit early on with Bad News Brown versus Randy Savage and Bad News Brown. And if you remember the promo, he comes out and he cuts a promo on Jack Tunney, basically accusing Jack Tunney of accepting, quote unquote, favors from Elizabeth. So again, just part of this incredible story was bad news Brown. And I think that's the, one of the bigger takeaways from, from this almost meaningless altercation between him and Axel. How dare you bad news insinuate that Elizabeth would do anything nefarious like that. Nefarious means not on WrestleMania five, pal. Um, <laughs> the next match, let's, let's get to it so we can get to the main event. Bobby Before the, we move on, I just want to let you know the Tunnies are infamous for accepting favors. That's true. That is your that is your cousin, the Poon Slayer, Jack Tunney, right? PC <laughs> Uncle Uncle Jack Tunney. Uncle Poon Slayer. That's right. That's Jack Tunney there for you. Uh, <laughs> PC stands for Poon Collector. Poon Collector. That's right. It's stay. He's keeping it in the family, DJ. So just oh, you know. Boy. Um, the next match, Bobby the Brain Heenan shows up with the Brooklyn Brawler, and Heenan is is is. Damage because one thing we didn't mention is that the warrior catches up to Bobby Heenan at the end of that whole fracas and beats the holy hell out of him. So Heenan is set to take on the Red Rooster, who has turned on Bobby Heenan in the somewhere along the way. It doesn't matter. Um, thankfully, this match is over in seconds, Tony. This one didn't go long at all. I don't even want to know how long it is. Less than 30 seconds, I'm hoping. Bob, no, 32 seconds. 32. Okay, well, there you go. Heenan whips the rooster into the corner, charges him. Rooster avoids this. Heenan crashes shoulder first into the post, and Rooster then pins Bobby the Brain Heenan to get the win. Trivia question. And that's your show, everybody. WrestleMania that, 5. Everybody it. goes home happy. Yeah. Red Rooster. Thanks for coming. You guys, thanks for having me. That's everybody's right. Strutting, everybody's strutting to con on the way out, and we're good to go. What, yeah. a, what a night. Post. Yeah, so great. Post-match, though, we get the Brooklyn Brawler gets his one shining moment in WrestleMania sunlight as he attacks the Red Rooster and beats the shit out of him and gets the fuck out of Dodge before the Red Rooster can recover. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what the you can say rooster. about this match. I, I have a theory on the Red Rooster. I think Vince was just trying to find a way for people to be able to say cock on TV because they always used to call him the cock of the walk. He's about 40 years uh, too soon here, but anyway. 
Yeah. All you had to do is wait for the network and the cock, and you could have had the red rooster on the cock. I mean, if you want to watch WrestleMania 5, you've got rooster on the cock, right, Tony? I mean. <laughs> Your words. They, they are. I'm going to, you know, if, if I wasn't going to call this the big four, the title of this episode would be rooster on the cock. I'll say that for a DWI episode. Just, you know. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. All right. Let's get to the real main event. Let's talk about it. This is this is the culmination of everything. The macho man, Randy Savage, the WWF champion who comes out first. <laughs> it's expected. Uh, and Jesse makes a big deal of it. The, the champion coming out first. Yes, because everybody's going to pop for Hulk Hogan as he comes out second. Actually, Thanks, he doesn't. Jesse. 35 years later, people are still bitching about that. That's right. And actually, it's not Hogan who comes out second. It's Elizabeth who comes out second. She goes to a neutral corner. Savage is irate, of course. Hogan comes out to a massive pop and a, and a huge ovation. Um, the match is, it, it's it's good. But it's good because of Macho Man Randy Savage. Let's be honest. This has got very little to do with Hulk Hogan, although Ho- Hogan bleeds in this match pretty early on. Um, you know, the, the, the best part of this match is, 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 you know, I love Savage just taking control of the match and, and just dominating in the, like the latter portion and Jesse Ventura saying it's only time now, gorilla. It's only time. You know, <laughs> I love that line. And then, you know, Savage cho- literally chokes Hogan down, chokes life out of him, hits the elbow, and yeah, at this point in time, you'd never seen anybody kick out of the elbow drop except Hogan. Hogan does the whole thing, kicks out, does the typical Hogan finish, hits the leg drop. Hulk Hogan's a two-time WWF champion. Uh, it's it, it is it's all Randy Savage. He's he's the one he directs everything in this match. He's the one who interacts with Elizabeth. He gets her tossed out of the ring because she's getting too involved. Um, Hulk doesn't you know Hulk does what Hulk's supposed to do in this match, and you really can't say anything different about it he absorbs a lot of punishment he lets randy be the ring general as he should be and the finish is what you would expect and hulk rectifies the wrong of you know february of 1988 by a year and three months later reclaiming what was what he never really lost and there you go tony in eight in 18 minutes an 18 minute hulk hogan match in which jesse ventura kept telling you the longer this match goes the more likely Macho Man is to win it. Great job by Jesse Ventura here to to sell the fact that, man, we're, we keep going. There's no way. You know, Macho can go forever. And if you listen to the promo that we played at the beginning of the show, it, it definitely sounds like if he's got enough, uh, you know, whatever he needs, he could probably go forever. Um <laughs> What a good, what a great match. I mean, it's just, it's just really good storytelling in the ring and, and, and in and around the ring with everything that's happening. Like you said, to start this show tonight, uh, WrestleMania five had the perfect announced team. And, and so did every other one of the first, what, six WrestleManias. So yeah, I mean, Gorilla is so consistent and Jesse, and, and sometimes we talk about these main events and the biggest matches, of these shows, and we forget about the big impact that the announce team has. And the fact that Jesse sold Macho, longer we go. You know, these people have been watching these small-ass matches all night. Finally, we're past the fucking 10-minute mark, 12-minute mark, 15-minute mark. We got three more minutes. Macho's got to win, right, if we're watching at home from what we heard. But, yeah, just a culmination of Dave, like you said, one of the greatest storylines one of the greatest main events in WrestleMania history. Yeah. And like you're saying, not only did, you know, you got the time element involved, like Jesse's talking about, 
he hits the elbow and, and, and it's not enough. And, and like you're saying, Tony, and I'm so glad you brought it up the, the announce team, the interplay between Jesse and gorilla really kind of getting into it with each other at points in this match about Elizabeth, you know, where, where he's talking about, you know, gorilla's like, you know, you know, what right did he have to slap her around in the back and Jesse firing back? Who the fuck was Elizabeth before the macho man even came along? You know, there's, they play that up in some real, not real animosity, but you get to feel this tension with between these two guys who are clearly aligned with different wrestlers, with Gorilla being hardcore behind Hulk Hogan. Jesse the Body Ventura, you know, I've been with, you know, the Macho Man side since this whole fucking thing started. And just kind of, you know, not that language, of course, kids, but you know what I mean. Um, and and just them going, yeah, should have been that language. That would have been fun. But it just, it's just, it's just the great you, the emotions of everything that the fans had gone through got translated into this match. That gets translated into the announce team and gets broadcast back at you, and it just adds to like Tony's thing. One of the best, maybe not technically speaking, I get it. Savage's performance, you can't take anything away from because he was magnificent. I'd match, I'd throw his performance in this main event against anybody's and say. Good. Have at it. Um, DJ, your thoughts on this tremendous main event that brings to a conclusion this great storyline. Absolutely agree with what you guys were saying about the commentary team. A good commentary team can make a mediocre match feel like a million bucks. Clinically, clinically, this was a mediocre match. But the emotion, the story, everything, again, the culmination Liz's involvement, Jesse being just the the pro savage and, and, and just everything worked and made this feel so much more important than it might have any other way. As a side note, I know a lot of people, you know, Hogan is fun for the IWC to bash on for not being able to work. I'm a big fan of Hulk Hogan's uh, stuff in Japan. I this is one of those times typically being a work rate nerd at this point in my career, I was kind of over the Hulk Hogan show. So I was kind of rooting for Savage because of that. I would love to have seen a little bit of Hogan Japan work rate in this match, but I also understand what I'm watching. So what we got is what we should have gotten. But yeah, just absolutely incredible to to feel that and experience that. And I, I don't there's some good stuff going on now. The bloodline you could argue is, is absolutely incredible storyline and probably rivals that. But I think back to the emotion that I had back then, again, we're talking about 15 year old eyes versus 50 year old eyes. Um, Going to be hard to top that, that genuine emotion that, that we felt in that time period in WWE. No, absolutely. And, 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 and it's interesting to me as well. Like Tony, when you and I did uh WrestleMania three. And we talked about the perfectionist that was macho man, Randy Savage and that match with steamboat where they planned out every single move. And you know, damn well that Hogan was going to be like, look here, brother, I ain't doing that shit. You know? So Savage had to take his hands off the wheel a little bit with Hulk and they still put together an 18 minute. I don't know about Epic, but it's a great match, you know, for everything that's going on with the emotion, with everything that's involved. It is a satisfying fitting conclusion to this storyline that goes the way you kind of expected it to go. And it, and it brings to an end WrestleMania five in one of the biggest title changes in wrestling history. PC Tunney, I will turn it over to you first for a score for WrestleMania five on a scale of one to 10, taking everything into consideration. What do you give this event? This one's tough. It is tough. 
Because significance historically plays a big part. And there are three to four other matches on this card that are pretty darn good. So if you can ignore the rest, I can't go higher than seven. DJ, what do you think, man? I Not very compelling podcasting, but my number was seven, uh, mainly because more than half of this card, I'm not going to say it stunk, but it just wasn't hitting. Uh, we talked about that at the beginning. The card overall was rather, rather mid, but the high spots were high enough to keep it above a five or a six for me. Yeah, this is not compelling at all because I'm giving it a seven as well. And, and and that's the number I had written down here. I can show you guys, and this is months ago. Um, and it's largely for the reason that Tony said. There's a lot of fluff and a lot of filler and a lot of shit on this show. There's a few good matches, but when you're talking about the greatest storyline in wrestling history, arguably, culminating in this event, it's it's awfully hard not and, and in a match like that with so much emotion on the line, the match delivered, it, it, whatever you want to say about it, it, the main event delivered and then some. Yeah, I got to give this at least a seven, you know, you and I can't go higher than that, but I'll give it a seven. That's it, guys, for this chapter of the Big Four Project on chapter six. The uh, the Mega Power storyline not quite done yet we're gonna have to go to SummerSlam 89 and and the appearance of zeus which is its own kind of story and then uh survivor series 89 which is kind of hogan and zeus going on and then we're gonna get into the wheelhouse of the ultimate challenge which i know tunny's looking forward to immensely ultimate warrior hulk hogan that will be chapter seven wrestlemania six um <clears throat> before i get, let you guys cut out of here i did want to talk a little bit it's been a, a hotly debated subject on the chair shot radio chat. The issue of what should be the main event for night one of WrestleMania 39 and Tony, I know what you think is going to be the main event and, and you're, and there's a lot of reason to believe you're right. And I know DWI talked about it, but now that we've got the Usos and Sammy official, which didn't happen until last night, I want to ask you this, and then I'll turn it over to DJ. I know what you think is going to be the main event is Rhea and Charlotte. I want to ask you a simple question. Should that be the main event? Yes. Why? I'm not going to let you get away with a one-word answer here. Because I think KO and Sammy beat the Usos as well, and I think that should happen consecutively to end night two. The downfall, the the short-term downfall, because I think this is a longer storyline. I think the short-term downfall should happen consecutively. Why should Roman have time? Do we want to give Roman time to react to the Usos losing? Because if they lose the night before, then all over social media, what does Roman think? What does Roman think? But there's no reaction because it's not, you know, I just see it better told as a story to end night two. This has been a whole bloodline thing and it can come back again. But now you have Roman taking a time off. What do we do while Roman's gone? Jay emerges as a leader. Roman comes back. You know, that kind of thing. So that's where I'm going with it. That's what I like. I'm probably half right, DJ. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting... Yeah, you may be funny tunny by the end of WrestleMania weekend. Yeah. What, DJ... or, or, or PC pizza or something. DJ, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, you know, I, and... Honestly, that's not a bad idea, PC. I, I I could I could actually see that. Just Rome, oh, I know. 
Rome crumbling in one day like that would be, you know, and it would everything. Why? Let's get the like the whole thing. The whole this whole WrestleMania is about the bloodline. Yeah. Let's not kid ourselves, right? So, why not have it? Why not have the culmination all build towards the end, right? Like, oh well, they lost, but Roman's not going to lose, or something like that. I don't know. And if they but lose just, in such a even, way that, but I'll say even more so, Rhea deserves it. And I know we talk about deserve isn't a word in professional wrestling and things of that nature, but let me tell you right now, don't make the mistake of not letting her finish night one. Let me tell you, don't make that mistake. Yeah, I... Who needs it more? Who needs it more? Not the fucking Usos, I'll tell you that right now. We already consider them one of the greatest tag teams of all time. So why not let that storyline pay off night two? Make night one about Rhea. You already stuck the rocket up her ass. Let her get to the fucking moon. I just hope they let her win this time. But Charlotte and L. I mean, I oh, come. look. I'm telling you, man. I was there for Survivor Series a few years ago and watched that Staples Center Crypto.com rally around Charlotte against Ronda Rousey. I, I don't put anything past that crowd down there at this point. DJ, what are your thoughts, man? What should main event night one of WrestleMania? I think it's going to be the Usos versus Sammy and KO, and here's why. Op and Tunny just checked out on us. Tunny's here's why. I think it adds more emotional gravitas and puts more pressure on Roman Reigns going into night two. I think if if the Usos end up losing to Sammy and KO, that puts Roman on the hot seat. You know, and and one could argue it does that either way, but now he's got 24 hours to stew over that. And I think there's a compelling story to tell going into the match with Cody Rhodes, because now Roman's, he's had 24 hours to stew over this, like, holy crap, this is falling apart around me. You know, and, and in the last, you know, the last day, you know, how, where, where's my headspace going into this match? Am, am I am I mad at the Usos? Am I worried about, you know, my championship? Am I worried about the, the bloodline as a family? I, I think it adds to that. I also disagree that, you know, Rhea Ripley is what, 24, 25 years old? She's easily, easily got another decade in that company. There are plenty of WrestleManias for Rhea Ripley to main event in the next decade. And there are that window is much smaller for the Usos, for Sami Zayn, for KO. One could argue KO main evented night one last year, and he did against um, against awesome. Stone Cold. Yeah. Tunney maintains that that wasn't a real match. He's, he's, so, he's, he's, he doesn't believe that himself anymore, but that's okay. <laughs> he maintains that. Was the, he's giving me the look right now. <laughs> I, I continue my trend with building heat with my, uh, my chair shot radio network comrades here. <laughs> I, I, but uh, yeah, Rhea Ripley has plenty of time to main event at WrestleMania. She's so hot as a character. She's so dominant. She can do, she can run this for two or three more years at this level easily. I, I think a couple things for sure. I think Rio beats Charlotte for sure. They're going to, and I think this is kind of like WrestleMania 36 redux in a certain respect because the matches where people were supposed to go over, but they couldn't because of COVID. I think Drew McIntyre wins the Intercontinental Champion. And I hope to God that Drew wins the Intercontinental Championship and finally gets that moment in front of a crowd. Tony's saying no. I, I I just I'm pulling for Sheamus, Sheamus in this one. Grand Slam at WrestleMania. Sheamus, his WrestleMania. What's that's this right? Re- his WrestleMania moment right now is an 18 second match with Daniel Bryan. Come yeah, on, that's, that's you guys true. really? 
why why do come that see and that and that's why that's a that's a compelling now we've got some counter programming but that's a compelling match now because like you're saying Sheamus needs that moment drew deserves that moment i don't think any of us deny that that drew deserves that moment Sheamus's window is much more yeah. narrow than Drew because Sheamus is in his 40s. That's true. That, but I, 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 I guess I tend to look at it that way. I, I do. I think like as well. <laughs> and Greg and I were kind of talking about this on Twitter today in some posts that we we're doing that, you know, it, it, Greg, the, the, the head head guy at the chair shot, you know, that guy, he's a jobber. But anyway, it's doesn't everybody hate him? Everybody does hate him. But there, it, there's a T-shirt that says that, I'm sure. Good job. Over DJ, at the pro wrestling forward slash the chair shot. I'm I'm my biggest concern is that I don't want to see Rhea and Charlotte get shit on if Sammy and and and, and KO versus Usos go on too early in that card. And it just wipes the emotions out of that crowd. So like Tony saying if it's night two, then maybe not. Maybe I not. think they kick off night two. They might. I think Rhea and Charlotte kick off night two. Wouldn't it make more sense to have that whole night then? If you don't want to put them right before them night two, why don't you have them lose the belt night two and that whole night while you're watching night two builds into it. Instead of it being the day before, it happens while you're watching. Like, it just doesn't make sense to not have... They... they. Did you guys see the fucking uh, movie trailer spoof, right? Yeah. I for the Stranger John Things Cena thing. Asks her what it's like to be the what does it feel like to be the main event at WrestleMania? And we talked about that word before. John John Cena's senile. Come on, you got it. You got it. You know. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. We'll see. We'll see. I, I I don't know if a WrestleMania, but I I do think that this Mania more than any others kind of showcases the two night format and how it can be used effectively. How they like whether what are they whatever they do, Tony. I think how they tell the story about the fall of the bloodline, whether it's on night one, night two, a mix of the both seems to be really important and can show it, it can leverage the power of a two night WrestleMania, which up until now has just been like, we got a shit ton of matches. We're splitting up into two days. And this is the first time they've really had a chance to say, we're going to tell a story over two days. And that's the power of storytelling, whether it's yeah. in the ring or out of the ring and what at its best, both. So, you know, I mean, if they do it my way, they they did the best job they could, and if they don't, then they didn't. <laughs> Heads well, I we'll win. We'll see. Triple H is under a lot of Heads pressure. Heads I win. As I've, tails you lose. As I've said before, nudge nudge, wink wink. This is his first WrestleMania where he is solely creatively in charge. This will be, and I've said this on my show. Oh, this my will pleasure. be his WrestleMania three. That's that could well. be very true. Very true. Guys, that's going to do it for the night. I appreciate the extra time you spent talking. We're, what, 10 days away? Holy shit. 10 days away from WrestleMania 39. Before we get out of here, DJ, where can people check you out on the socials and on thechairshot.com? You can find me. I am one of the three hosts of the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at The Mindless Pod. And if you want to check us out on YouTube, it's The Mindless Wrestling Podcast there. P.C. Tunney, legend that you are. Where can people yeah, check you, you out? Yeah, if you got a problem with me, send your hate mail to at the real C Platt, that son of a bitch. <laughs> um, and just continue to listen to everything Chair Shot Radio Network. And like DJ said, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot, the chair shot.com. Always use your head. And as for me, and I'll say it at the end of the show as well, but you know, you can find me on Twitter at attitude ag. 
at Attitude AGG, Facebook.com slash Attitude of, of Aggression. And I've really pissed you off with anything I said. Send your hate tweets to at It's Me DPP, and he will appreciate that. Guys, thank you so much for being a part of this chapter of the Big Four Project. That's it. The mega powers have exploded. We are on the road to the ultimate challenge next. Tony is so excited he wants you to feel his nipples, but boink! <laughs> we will be talking to you guys soon. DJ, Tony, thank you so much, gentlemen. Catch you soon, guys. Thank you. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, TheChairShot.com. All right, guys, we are back. Was that good stuff or what? Chapter 5 of the Big Four Project, talking about Royal Rumble 1989, talking about WrestleMania 5, the conclusion for the most part, uh, like I said, there's a little sub chapter sort of of the mega power storyline to talk about at SummerSlam uh, 1989. But as far as the main stuff goes, yeah, that was um, that was it. What a great topic of conversation, right? The uh, 1989 Royal Rumble, which was the first like not the first Royal Rumble, but the first Royal Rumble using kind of sort of. The uh, format we're used to, the 30-man uh, um, format, um, which has been for every Royal Rumble except, you know, one, or if you count the greatest Royal Rumble nonsense in Saudi Arabia, then you've got two where they had more than 30 people. But, um, you know, that event, as far as like putting putting that event on the map as a full-fledged Big Four pay-per-view uh, probably goes a little understated. I think you could hear the uh, in in me and Tunny and Rob's review of the Royal Rumble '89. It's not the greatest show in the world. The uh, super pose down, of course, was pretty damn important um, as far as pushing the Warrior Ravishing Rick Rude storyline forward. I think that that goes without saying. That was a big part of that. Um, the Rumble match itself, with of course the biggest moment of the whole event was the uh you know when hogan eliminates bad news brown and accidentally takes macho man randy savage out with him causing further degradation of the relationship between uh, savage and hogan at this time that liz is able to smooth over that lasts for maybe two weeks <laughs> something like that and then we get to that uh the big blow up at the main event in, in at the bradley center in wisconsin milwaukee wisconsin there um with the big disaster that happens it backstage after savage is tossed onto liz and takes her out and hogan carries her back and macho slaps hulk in the face and then we're in the back with uh you know all sorts of uh macho man randy savage levying all sorts of accusations to hulk you know what we didn't even play that uh, let's let's listen into some of what savage had to say just to because it's such a great storyline i'm just going to add in a few things but let's listen to this this is uh Backstage at the Bradley Center, when uh, Savage and Hogan, well, mostly Savage, really get into it with each other. Order for Hulk Hogan, you wouldn't be in that spot right there. You wouldn't be in that spot right now. You know what I'm saying? What the heck is wrong with you, man? What do you mean with that? Why did you leave me out there? No, what is wrong with you? Why did you leave me out there? Why did you 
Let's get knocked her down, man. I know it's an accident. Hey, boy, listen, let me tell you something about Hulkamania. Yeah. Let me tell you something about Hulkamania. Yeah. Macho Man, this is talking you. You're wrong, man. You're wrong. No, you're way out of line. No, you're right. You're out of line. Well, let me tell you why you're out of line. You got jealous eyes right there. Right there. You're looking at me with jealous eyes. Because you're a former champion. Hulkamania is just uh, going to win. I was carrying you. I'm not number three in the Mega Powers. I'm number one. You guys got me in the backseat. You're way out of line. Hold on, hold on, hold on, wait a minute, hold on. No, just slow down, man. Hold on, slow down, wait a minute. No, you're way out of line. In the land, you never asked me for a title shot. You know why? You know why, Elizabeth? Because you can't beat me. You're wrong. No, you can't. Man, don't touch me. You can't beat me. No, you didn't come at me like a man. You're jealous because I'm the World Wrestling Federation champion now. And I'm going to be a long time from now. No, you didn't wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. No, I'm going to tell you what you're wrong about more than anything else. No, I'm going to tell you what you're wrong about more than anything else. I can take anything. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Those eyes right there. Those eyes. Lust Elizabeth. You understand that? You got my face. You got lust for Elizabeth right there. And I'm going to tell you, it makes me sick. I can't even stand to look at you. You turned my guts into. If you wanted to come at me, man, a man. For the belt, I would beat you one, two, three. That would be okay. Yeah. You must try try and talk man, some I'm sense into this guy, man. Try and talk some sense to me. Oh, big Liz gets thrown. Somebody stop that Okay, the macho man is all about right here, brother. Oh What are you doing, man? What are you doing? Beefcake tries to come to the rescue. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. Somebody get him out of here. Pat Patterson throwing around to I'll get out of here because I want to get out Somebody get Savage out of here I mean <laughs> You heard it right there That was the, the big blow up of them In the backstage and a lot of accusations Hurled by Macho Man Randy Savage Of course in that moment with the whole You got lust in your eyes for Elizabeth Man and uh, I beat you You know and all that I mean Great stuff. Great. I mean, just just storytelling at its finest. I, I know with all due respect to what's going on with the bloodline, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, that was uh, some great stuff. And then, of course, WrestleMania five, which you heard me and Tony and uh, DJ talk about by and large, a pretty bloated card, you know, very bloated card. Lots of, uh, I don't know, short matches is an understatement. I thought so. Then Tony, you know, God love him and credit to PC Tony on this episode for getting the times of these matches and letting us know that it wasn't so much that the matches were short. Some of them were just too damn long uh, for what was trying to be told. Some of it didn't make sense. Matches that should have had a longer uh, runtime, so to speak. You know, Mr. Perfect and the Blue Blazer definitely could have used five more minutes at least. They didn't get that. Other matches like um, Andre and Jake went a little bit long, but, you know, they're trying to tell a story. But it's not all bad. You know, WrestleMania five has some hidden gems in there. When we talked about some of the matches that, you know, kind of uh, fly under the radar a little bit. Rockers and Twin Towers are one of those matches. Uh, the Brain Busters and Strike Force, very significant for the breakup of 
you know, Tito, it wasn't just Savage and Hogan breaking up at WrestleMania five. It was Tito Santana and Rick Martel kicking off that big sort of feud. Um, you know, you've got the big title change as the ultimate warrior drops the IC title to Rick Rude, which really, uh, is the next step in the evolution of that tremendous rivalry between those two. And of course you have Hulk Hogan and the macho man, Randy Savage in what was an, um, an excellent match from the standpoint of the story that they're telling and the payoff of that and Savage carrying Hogan and making Hogan look really good. And just these guys, these guys had good chemistry in the ring. They always had good chemistry, even before the mega powers were formed. Uh, they're contrasting styles and like we said, you know, it wasn't going to be a savage steamboat affair. You know, Hulk Hogan wasn't going to sit there at his stature at this point in time and let Macho Man Randy Savage tell him, hey, man, we're going to outline this match completely on five sheets of uh, of legal paper. You know, this Hogan be like, go and fuck yourself, Randy. I'm not going to do that stuff. We'll call it in the ring. Understandable. So, you know, the match was what it was it was an it was a very good match the one of the biggest main events in wrestlemania history to this day really hogan savage wrestlemania 5 i mean what what else can you say about it but a tremendous show love this chapter of the big four project possibly my favorite chapter i mean i really liked of course talking wrestlemania 3 but this is is you know the end of the mega power storyline again mostly 90% of it is done we've got a little bit left to talk about and then it's it's done done that sort of thing until they end up in WCW. And that's another train wreck of a story entirely. But uh, yeah, just a, a fantastic run that we've had the last few chapters with, you know, rec, you know, culminating in, uh, excuse me, chapter three, which uh, culminated in WrestleMania four. And then of course we had the, uh, you know, doing the first SummerSlam and then the second Survivor Series or no. Yeah. Second Survivor Series, Survivor Series 88. So it's been a really good run. A closest episode off, let's talk some current stuff and what's going on right now. And as I'm recording this, I, I believe at the beginning I said it was a, a week out from WrestleMania Sunday. It's now a couple days since then I've come back to fill in this back part because I kind of wanted to see what was going to happen. Um, you know, before we get to WrestleMania, we'll talk a little AEW just because I like to. <laughs> and I, I don't hate AEW. I'm not the, you know, I'm not as big a fan as I used to be of it because I just think things have gone a little bit awry with them but i did watch since the last time i talked to you guys i did watch AEW revolution um which i thought was a damn good show i thought the texas death match was fantastic love that match uh hangman adam page getting a huge win over moxley the 60 minute iron man match i thought was tremendous up to a point i thought you know and mjf really deserves a lot of credit for being able to hang in that match with a guy like brian danielson and they told a fantastic story, and and I you, you know, MJF you gotta love him, and it's and I think it's it's probably been done in an Iron Man match before, but I like the way MJF did this after he dropped the first fall where he nut shots Daniel Bryan, and uh, gets disqualified to lose the fall, but then picks up two quick pins to pull back ahead. So I thought it was that's pretty smart actually what they did. The problem that I have with the match is after all the Iron Man matches we've seen so far in history and there's been plenty of them enough of them um i don't understand anymore why the parameters of these matches aren't stated out in front it's it's not good storytelling it's lazy booking to say to not have a contingency look either you're going to sudden death when the fucking match is tied at the end or you're not 
And you don't change it on the fly where well, you've got to have a victor. Well, if you got to have a fucking victor, victor uh, of the event, then make sure that that's out there at the outset. Make sure people know about that right from the word go. If And we've seen WWE do this. If this thing ends up tied, it's going to sudden death. Okay. Everybody knows the rules going into it. But if you haven't clearly stated that, then it's a draw at the end of 60 minutes. And, and even if you're going to do, here's the other thing that I complained. I talked to Ray Cash about this. My complaint is if you're going to go to sudden death overtime and do it like this, why the fuck isn't Tony Khan coming out and making the announcement instead of whispering this through an earpiece in Tony Schiavone's ear, tell him, hey, announce we're going to sudden death. I thought that was absolute horseshit. Tony Khan needs to get more involved with this stuff. And people want the AEW hardcores want him to be like Vince McMahon. They want him to be the bad guy. They want him to do something different because right now the lines between kayfabe and reality are blurred and nobody knows, you know, Tony Khan is just perceived as this big pushover that everybody gets away with shit with. Look, you know, point in case CM Punk, point in case the elite. So I thought that was a really missed opportunity for TK, as they call him, Tony Khan, to come out and say, hey, we're not going to have this match of this magnitude on this revolution pay-per-view, which has been so good, and like that, we're going to sudden death. That would have made it a little bit better. It still doesn't explain away the fact that, dude, (laughs) set the ground rules in advance so people know. But it would have been a little bit better. Uh, You know, in the end, I didn't really... You know, I don't know. MJF hitting Daniel, excuse me, Brian Danielson in the head with a metal oxygen tank that was given to him because, again, they all thought the match was over. Now, if you knew that there was going to be sudden death, I I don't have a problem with when the bell rings, you know, forcing Danielson to break the hole that he had, the single leg Boston Crab or whatever it was at the end. I don't think it was a yes lock or LaBelle lock, but I, I don't have a problem breaking that because if you look at any other sports competition that when you reach the end of like the fourth quarter before you're going to overtime they don't just keep playing you know they they it ends they reset and they do so i don't have a problem with that but bringing out the oxygen tanks and letting mjf recuperate and then use it as a weapon and then trap daniel brian danielson in his own labelle lock where danielson almost escapes and then can't and then he taps out to his own move Look, you know, it it would have been if he just passed out in the ring and MJF retained like that, that's fine. I don't see any reason why Brian Danielson had to tap out and all this bullshit about, well, they're trying to put MJF over a strong bullshit. He would have been put over just as strong if Brian Danielson passed out as he did with Danielson tapping out to his own fucking move. So those are my complaints about AEW Revolution. By and large, I thought it was an excellent pay-per-view. And I'll say this, AEW does not put on bad pay-per-views i have yet to see a bad pay-per-view from aew a lot of stuff going on in between that different story dynamite okay we got things to complain about rampage is anybody really watching dark and dark elevation don't get me started that sort of thing but i thought it was an excellent pay-per-view and 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 it sets the stage for you know whatever is going to happen at double or nothing and who knows all sorts of rumors about i mean some silly stupid shit going on with cm punk just I, you know, I mean, <laughs> I hope Punk is joking about having glorious gay love with Shawn Michaels on six of the seven continents. Uh, you know, you got to hope that what is what? Why? What the fuck are you doing, Punk? And I know a lot of us ask, what the fuck are you doing, Punk? I think the b- other big thing going on in AEW right now is the status of FTR, who 
have said they've made a decision. And now, you know, I guess tomorrow night on Dynamite, maybe, you know, FTR is wrestling the guns for the AEW Tag Team Championships. And they've said that if they don't beat the guns, they will leave AEW. Can we telegraph this shit anymore? And no, I don't for one second think that they are going to lose and end up in WWE. Now, would I be disappointed? Not really. Could they show up at WrestleMania on Sunday and, you know, do something crazy like, you know, go after the Usos, enabling Cody to, you know, because Cody and FTR are tight. We know that much. Could they do something, you know, with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn somewhere else and Solo? Who knows? If they actually lose that match, I fully expect them to be at SoFi at some point during WrestleMania weekend. Do I expect them to lose that match? No. I expect them... I fully expect they have signed long-term deals with AEW for better or worse. I, I just feel like, you know, listening to everything Dax had to say, weighing the pros and cons of contracts, of dates, flexibility, things that they can do. AEW is probably a better fit for FTR right now. And and I just think like, you know, it, it's too, too obvious that this storyline, this trope that has been used so many times before loser leaves the, you know, the Federation, we just saw Jay White do it with NJPW. Could he show up at WrestleMania? Now that, okay, <laughs> that might be a little different story. Maybe there's something that might happen on Saturday or Sunday as far as, um, as you know, Jay White's concerned. But I do not expect it to be that obvious that, that I mean, if, if it is, and that's the best Tony Khan could come up with, the best excuse is that, you know, he puts the guns over so highly that, you know, they beat FTR and that's going to just elevate them to a new platform. Okay. Maybe, but I, just, I don't see them doing that, and it just would be lazy booking and stupid. But what do I know? We'll see. I, 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 like I said, I expect that FTR has signed a long-term deal with AEW, and they will be the new AEW Tag Team Champions once they get a chance to face the guns. So that's my little mini AEW update for the AEW fans out there. I didn't bitch about it too much. Just a few things that, unless you're blind and a hardcore AEW fan and you don't pay attention to anything, you'll see that I'm saying some things that are fair. Now, let's talk WrestleMania. So, we are just a few days away. It is Tuesday as I'm recording this, which means Stand and Deliver is what? Three, three and a half days? <laughs> Saturday morning, we will be going down to that. Um, I think as far as Stand and Deliver goes, the writing's pretty much on the wall. Carmelo Hayes should be the new NXT champion after Saturday. And I, I watched him and Braun team up a week ago. I think they took on Pretty Deadly. That was a fun match. They, they've they got good chemistry. Carmelo Hayes is positioned to be a big star. And I really hope there's a good turnout for Stand and Deliver. We got very good seats for that. They were remarkably cheap. Um, you know, I mean, we talked about it. NXT's not, just not what it was uh, in the heydays when the takeovers were bigger. You know, TakeOver New Orleans. Holy crap, that was the best show, one of the best shows ever. TakeOver Dallas, one of the best shows ever that I ever got to experience. Um, and that was when it was NXT Black and Gold Hardcore. And you had guys like Finn Balor, Adam Cole, Drew McIntyre, Bobby Roode, things like that going on. They don't have that depth of talent. They've got talent. And they're going to shine if they're given the opportunity. And Shawn Michaels is doing really good work with them. Um, but it's just not the same, and it doesn't feel the same. And I think part of that is pandemic-related because they need to get out on the road. They need to get away from the Performance Center or Full Sail or whatever the fuck it is down there in Orlando now um, and get out on the road. That helps. I think that helps a lot. 
being in a venue that's not in Orlando should be good. You know, the last one that they did, which was, um, God, what was the last vengeance day was in Charlotte, I think was a really good show. I really enjoyed that. And, and having that live crowd, bigger crowd, more interactive crowd, I think helped the product. And I expect stand and deliver will be the same thing. Moving a few hours after that, though, to day one of WrestleMania, we know it's going to be John Cena versus Austin Theory for the United States Championship heading off the festivities. Beyond that, we don't know a whole lot. We know the matches, you know, and they just added some this week. Dom Dominic Mysterio finally gets his match with Rey Mysterio at WrestleMania. God, I hope Rey beats the shit out of him. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be a tremendous card. There's going to be tremendous stuff. You talk, we, you heard talking on here about whether Sammy and Kevin Owens versus the Usos should main event night one of WrestleMania. There's a lot of different ways to, to approach that and to think about that, whether that should be done or whether that shouldn't be done, whether it should be Charlotte and Rhea Ripley. There's arguments to be made on both sides, how that plays out. I don't know, you know, and I think there's genuine concern about, you know, the, the Sammy factor really kind of undercutting a lot of what's going on. So, we will see. I still, excuse me, I still think a really good chance you're going to get Sammy and Kevin Owens versus the Usos as the main event of night one. Um, just because, you know, Sammy's as hot as it is and they haven't had a tag team match main event of WrestleMania in 38 years. So why not? But, you know, be, but beyond that, the big question, of course, is can Cody Rhodes and Roman's reign? I, you know, the more it's gone on, I see a lot of arguments as to why Roman should keep the title reign going. I, just, I don't see it happening anymore. I used to, but it's like too many things. You know, Roman wanting to step away from WWE for a while. They have a need to split up the titles. Cody could very well come in there and split up the titles. They could introduce new championship belts. Lots of rumors going around that they're going to introduce a, you know, maybe bring back the winged eagle championship belt for the WWE championship and maybe get rid of the universal title and bring back the big gold belt for the world heavyweight championship. If you're going to do that, you know, then you kind of almost have to split the titles up and maybe that gives them a reason to do that. I don't know. I I, I don't expect this to be fully the end of the bloodline storyline. I think this will continue for the next few months. I think SummerSlam in Detroit might have a big payoff. Roman will be back. You know, if he wants to take some time off, I don't blame the guy, and by all means, the man has earned it. <laughs> he really has turned in an unbelievable performance as the most dominant. Whatever happens at WrestleMania in a few days, Roman Reigns is the most dominant champion of the modern era, and he's proven it, and he has been tremendous in that role. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to talk with PC Tunney, Kenny Killa. I think uh, I'm not sure who else is going to be on that show. I think maybe Ray Cash will be on. It'll be on the DWI podcast the Friday before WrestleMania starts on Saturday. We're going to do like a tri-cast, which may be a quad cast by the time we get done recording it with a WrestleMania preview of, uh, I mean, I, at this point in time, I still got things I got to think about. <laughs> I, I am kind of leaning in the direction of Cody dethroning Roman right now. I am leaning in the direction of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn dethroning the Usos. Unless you're bringing FTR back. And and if you are bringing FTR back, then maybe something weird is going to happen with them and the Usos and Sammy and Kevin. Who knows about that? You know, other surprises. You know, my wife had asked me today, do you think The Rock's going to be there? No. How about Austin? Maybe. 
<laughs> I think I give, ironically, I give Austin a better shot of being there than uh, The Rock at this point in time. The Rock's got a lot of issues. Dwayne Johnson's got a lot of issues going on. A lot of bad PR, bad publicity going his way. Stone Cold does not have any of that. So I would not be completely surprised to see Austin show up. The Rock, I would be. Um, other surprises, Jay White, possibly. You know, um, you could see something like that. Or are there any other major returns or, or people that could surprise and shock the world i don't see a whole lot of that um you know could something happen you know like we've seen it done before like say braun breaker loses the title on saturday could he get interjected in things on sunday possibly you never know i I think if you ask me which match am i looking forward to the most i mean a bunch of them but i'll tell you the one that i really am most interested in is the triple threat intercontinental championship match gunther Seamus, Drew McIntyre, because I, you know, and I've talked about this on other shows. I think, I don't even know if we may have talked about it here. I really want Drew to win this match. And yes, Seamus deserves it. And the guys are right. He should get this to be a Grand Slam champion. He's never been the IC champion. I agree with that. But I have such a soft spot for Drew because he never got that moment with the crowd. You know, he beats Brock in the empty arena main event at WrestleMania 36, if you want to call it WrestleMania. They are, so I guess we have to. My objections to that have been well stated in the past. But he beats Brock in the empty arena match at WrestleMania 36. The next opportunity he has is in front of fans at WrestleMania 37, but he doesn't beat Bobby Lashley to have that crowning moment, which is a little bit of a surprise. Granted, this is not a match for the title. But Gunther has made the Intercontinental Championship hugely relevant again, like it has not been in a very, very, very long time where the IC title is looked at as, wow, this is a legit second you know, title. I mean, you, you compare the secondary titles on the brands, Intercontinental Championship to the United States Championship, no comparison, even though the United States Championship has been the top title on Raw forever, for like a year now. But, you know, I... I, I and Gunther, I think he can weather the loss, even if he's not, he can weather the loss without even being involved in it. So Drew's got the best of Sheamus in the past. It'd be a really good feel-good story if Sheamus, if any of the three guys win, I'll probably pop. But I will pop harder for Drew to win this thing. So anyway, guys, that's kind of, that's a long kind of closing of this episode, talking about AEW, talking about WrestleMania, which is just a few days away. So exciting. Uh, the build to this card has been pretty damn good, I think. Very excited. The uh, card is fantastic. So many really good matches. Even the stuff that's just kind of like being tacked on, like the showcase matches. Like they just did that fatal, uh, they had um, eight guys, eight-man tag match on Raw with the Street Profits teaming with Braun and Ricochet versus um, Alpha Academy and the Viking Raiders. Excellent match. I mean, Montez Ford's... <laughs> rotating frog splash i don't know if i've seen something like that done before but that was phenomenal really cool to watch um you know we'll see what happens with the women's showcase match with ronda ronda rousey and Shayna baszler got to be the favorites but ronda's been such a pain in the ass lately and saying some really dumb shit that who knows what hunter's gonna do with that lots of rumors swirling that the the sale of wwe is hot and heavy lots of people wanting in on that who knows We'll see where they go with that in the next few months. But, guys, that's going to do it for this episode, episode 278 of the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. 
Let me give you guys some contact information. <clears throat> I truly hope you enjoyed this chapter of the Big Four Project because it was a fun one. If you want to contact the show, you can email me at attitudeofaggression at gmail.com. Once again, that is attitudeofaggression at gmail.com. If I get your email, I will read it on the air and do my very best to answer your questions, your comments, your concerns, that sort of thing. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Attitude Ag, that is at Attitude A-G-G, or on Facebook.com forward slash Attitude of Aggression. If you go there, please hit the like button. Um, Instagram, it's at Attitude of Aggression, all one word. Please make sure you're checking out the Instagram account coming up this weekend for lots of pictures and goodies from WrestleMania weekend down in Los Angeles, as we will be there. Uh, if you are listening to us on a mobile device such as uh, iTunes or Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or wherever else the podcast is, is and at this point I have no idea who's broadcasting this other than thechairshot.com, of course. If you like what you hear, please be so kind as to leave me a five-star review. It lets people know that Big Dave still knows what the hell he's talking about um, sometimes. 60% of the time, I know it every time, that sort of thing, but... Anyway, that is going to do it for Chapter 5 of the Big Four Project. On Chapter 6 of the Big Four Project, we will be reviewing SummerSlam 1989 as the Mega Power storyline concludes with the introduction of the one and only Zeus. Yes, but that's not the best match on the card that night. And Survivor Series 1989, where the whole Hogan-Zeus kind of mini storyline comes to a end, more or less, kind of, sort of. Eh, sort of. <laughs> They did have the no holds barred the movie and the match thing afterwards, but we'll talk about that in chapter six. Um, hopefully maybe we get back on and recap WrestleMania a little bit. I'm sure there'll be plenty of coverage of that on the chairshot.com. I'm going to leave you guys here. We're going to close out of this thing, listening to the closing moments of Hulk Hogan recapturing the WWF championship for macho man, Randy Savage at WrestleMania five until next time, wrestling fans and aggressionaholics, you stay aggressive. You do it with attitude. We'll catch you soon. Enjoy WrestleMania this weekend. It's going to be really awesome. We'll be talking to you guys soon. We'll see what happens. Is Roman's reign done? We'll find out. But right now, let's listen to the end of the reign of the Macho Man Randy Savage. That may be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, that could be. For me. Macho Man choking the choke. Sure a deliberate choke. Sure it is. Look at that. There you go. Pin him, Mach. Pin him. There he goes. He's going up. If he hits this gorilla, it's over. Bucamania will die right here. Savage perched up there in the elbow. He got it. He nailed him. He got it. Cover him, Mach. One, two, no. The Hulkster's out of there. I don't believe that. And adrenaline is starting to flow. Is going crazy. I can't believe nobody's ever gotten up from that elbow gorilla. No, absolutely not. This place has gone bananas. The Hulkster is hooked up. All those moves, he's impervious to that pain. Look at the look on his face. A block and a right hand and another one. I can't believe this is happening.
Dominic. He's out. Dominic.